This is not Patricia. Yeah, who's going to be Patricia? You or Larry? Not me. Oh, no. My voice isn't high enough. Patricia you, doesn't Walden. have any you're, power. But you're auditioning, Walden. Go ahead, audition. Yeah. Walden. Oh, no, no, no. That sounds like a, that sounds like a dying quail. Oh, that's that's not bad. That's a little higher than... That's uh, Luke Costello on steroids. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, Walden, do you have a falsetto? I guess you do have some sort of a falsetto. I don't think it's not much. It's a little one, but you have to screech to do it. True. You could true. almost be a crow if you were 5,000 feet up. There you go. Yeah, yeah good. So. Amazing what you could come back as the in another life. The stuff okay, you find Johnny, out here. Your turn, John. Uh... Your turn, John. No, no, John has a falsetto. falsetto. Go ahead, John. Turn your face away from the mic. That's pretty good. You yeah, have a falsetto, but you just don't know how to use I it. I can't control it, so. Oh. All right, Larry, it's your okay. turn. Come on, get, give us a crow. What do you What do you want? A, a dying duck. No, no, no. This will be something from Africa. <laughs> Is that close? That's very good. Thank that's you very why, much. That's uh, why I tuned in tonight. I, I was a monkey in an earlier life as well. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean an earlier life? An early, oh, oh, I see. Is this one still? Yeah. Okay. Have you looked at your hands lately? So, aside from all that garbage, do we have a guest yet? We do it at 9 o'clock. Oh, at 9 o'clock? Just, Is it the guy who was supposed to be with us last night? You mean night? I wasn't auditioning for Broadway? <laughs> I am ticked! You have to do it at 9 o'clock. I'm ticked! I thought I was going to New York! Ah! That's a lot better, though, than knowing that we actually were on last night. Dan wasn't so sure. Dan's the only one who... Who didn't Dan listened on. to uh, three hours of nothing because <laughs> we were on. I That's checked. Right. I checked. I have another feed from actual uh, internet sites, and we were on. So, damn, that leaves us to ask the question: What were you listening to last night? So we'll see if he calls in. Something. Now, granted, we didn't get any phone calls from anybody. Yeah. Well, we got the line after after you guys went to bed. So. Okay. Oh, that's true. That's true. I'm sorry. I didn't hear her. Yeah. But but we were on because I checked. 
So anyway, aside from all that excitement, gosh, can it get much better? Uh, so Patricia is powerless again tonight. And how long is that going to go? Do we know? We don't know. In the eye of anything. The, the tornado, the the the, the um, hurricane dumped, and then ran about a week or two ago. Right. Well, There's not in the eye of anything. She's in the cleanup phase. You know, well, where's the new one going? I don't know if we know. Somebody said Carolinas. Well, that's the last I heard. Maybe then that you know you shouldn't say it's going there because you don't know. But maybe the Carolinas. We don't know that yet. That's the one that beat the heck out of the uh, San uh, Puerto Rico. They had a hundred percent lack of power everywhere. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. And Mexico City had another earthquake today. I mean, a six-two or whatever it was, but still, on top of what they had a couple of days ago. My goodness. Yeah. And he moved to Northridge. And he was in the Northridge until he jumped out of a window and fell and died during the Northridge earthquake. Oh my gosh. My mom remembered that because he had a flashback that was nine years earlier. Really? I no, I don't know. I don't remember. I can't imagine how horrible it must have been for him. Yeah. Because granted, now they've got retrofitting and it's better in the buildings that were retrofitted, but they still have a lot of buildings in Mexico City and around that weren't retrofitted and, and collapsed even a couple days ago. Must be just a horrible feeling when everything's coming around down around you. I think the worst earthquake during the Golden Days of Radio that we hear people talk about is the 1932 earthquake, or maybe 33 from Long Beach. 33 in Long Beach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but... But were the build were the were the buildings fit, uh, built to spec at that time? I don't think so. Probably not. Do you remember well, what the spec was at that time? Do you remember what the strength of the earthquake was? I never knew. I just remember hearing some of the Spurback honorary members talk about it because mm-hmm. running the radio station. I'm trying to think which one. Where do we have an audio? True, call? True Boardman talked about it, and I remember seeing a film clip. It was a WC Fields film, and and, they, and the film was running at the time when the earthquake hit. Bob, uh, are you? Oh, uh, a friend Jalen, of. Um, Jalen Drake and the other one. Who was the other guy besides Jalen Drake? Who did all the stuff for Warner Brothers? Well, he, 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 he would sit down and talk, do these 15 minute daily shows and talk about topics that he wanted to talk about. Neil Armstead. No, Nelson Armstead. Nelson Armstead. And, and there was one of those two who talked about the Spurback meeting that they were at. That might have been Galen Drake. It was Galen Drake. Maybe we should play that just in honor of all the problems that have existed here. No, but John, why don't you Google the 1933 earthquake and see if it gives you a seismographical reading. I remember Richard Krenner talked about it on the KFI special. He did. He did briefly, yeah. John, I don't hear you Googling. I'm pressing the keys very lightly. (laughs) 
No, I'm cute because we've never heard of what. All right, I'll, I'll find out. Okay. Okay. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Up until nine o'clock, we can talk about earthquakes, hurricanes, radio, anything you want to talk about. We'll play shows, although we don't know yet what they will be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there are a few. There are a few, not very many. Huh, that's interesting. There's there's the there's the Stan Freeberg show that actually aired in fair quality. Episode number one. And it was about an earthquake, but when the uh, that was the that was the alternate ending, the one he didn't want to run, but the lawyer said, No, 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 you can't do the one about the nuclear um Holocaust and so they took it out, put the earthquake in, and then when they released it years later as a record, they put the nuclear ending back in. We happen to have both. The earthquake one isn't as good a shape, but we do have it. I think we have like shows with avalanches and things like that. I'm just trying to think of a I don't know, yeah, if we have anything with an earthquake. Well, sort of. We have I Love a Mystery Temple of Vampires. Yeah. Uh, we have a, I haven't dubbed it yet off of my tapes. We have a much better sounding copy of uh, Chandu the Magician from 48 than the stuff that's running around on the internet. Uh, it's way better. I don't know if it's directly from discs, but it's close. And that's the next chore after I get done with my one man's family stuff. And I've only got another reel to go. Attention, and everyone. That'll be done. The strength of the Long Beach earthquake was 6.4. Wow. That's say? strong, but it, it when it hit again in um, Silmar, was it 6.4? It was 6.5. Okay, that was pretty strong. I thought one of them was really strong. The Silmar one in 69 or 70? 71 in Silmar? Yeah. Yeah, that was about six one, six two. That one, that one, the hospital came down. But my curious, my question is, and I don't know how to answer it, is because of the building codes that we had in place in 1933. If we'd had those, if we'd had stronger building codes, would we have lost as many people in buildings as we did in seventy one? I'd have to look that up. Yeah. I'm not sure. Mike, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly when we had earthquake enforcement codes. I always associate that being sort of some of the recent phenomenon, all the uh, standards and things. Of the I'll, I'll, I'll be right back. I have the LA Times article here about it. Okay. Uh... <laughs> I have the LA Times article about it. You want to slow it down so you can I can't I can't play it through the system. I heard Josh playing it. Well I'll try it. I don't know how long you tell me if you don't hear it after a while. P.M. An estimated magnitude 6.3 earthquake hit Southern California. The Long Beach earthquake killed 115 people and damaged buildings throughout the region. In San Pedro, a car was hit by bricks in front of the Anderson Building at 6th and Beacon Streets. 
1 slash 13 Long Beach 1933 Earthquake Los Angeles Times Archive The Long Beach earthquake occurred along the 46-mile-long Newport Inglewood Fault, stretching from Huntington Beach in Orange County north to west Los Angeles. Damage from the quake, such as in the womb above, was extensive in the port city of Long Beach. 2 slash 13. On March 10, 1933, at 554p.m, an estimated magnitude 6.3 earthquake hit Southern California. The Long Beach earthquake killed 115 people and damaged buildings throughout the region. Copyright, copyright 2017. Link Los Angeles Times. So it's interesting. It, it played it. I don't, it normally doesn't do that. But, you know, tomorrow it probably won't. That's what's hit and miss. Could you Google if you don't want somebody once? John, I'm wondering what. I don't remember that. I was just a young kid. I don't remember. It was 6 5. I know that. You guys felt it, right? Yeah. I was getting up to go to school. No, I guess it, I got up about six, and then just shortly after I got up, I guess I, it hit. In Jennings, Louisiana. And he and his mom and dad took a boat. And they went up to San Francisco. They're planning to get off the boat to spend time in the city. And here he was about five or so. And he talked to his parents that he wanted to spend the night on the boat. And the next day was the San Francisco earthquake. Um, I remember that's one of the stories I remember calls him telling us at lunch. And then that's, that's when the family moved up, you know, continued up to Oregon. But, uh, wow. I remember, I remember, I think, I'm, I don't remember when I went to lunch with him first. But, and I saw him briefly, never talked to him at the PBB meeting. That's how we got the idea to bring him down. And then I wrote him a note, and he wrote back a letter, which I have somewhere, on that old battered typewriter. And then he came down, and... I remember thinking to myself, I don't get enamored with and or frightened of being in the presence of many people, but I couldn't believe I was in the same room with Carlton E. Morris because I loved so much of the stuff he did. And within 10 minutes, he had that ability to make you feel as if you'd known him all your life. And after that, it was very it was just like talking to an old friend. You know, hey, Carlton, how are you doing? But boy, for those first 10 minutes, it was like, Chadwick she was his she was his helper uh they were not romantically inclined he had just lost patricia not long ago and she was helping him out with his book items and other things and then eventually uh other people got involved but but yeah she was there for the first year Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So she took him and they struck for friendship, and uh, he invited our family to lunch. So when we came out of the Phil Harris College Hill Channel, uh, Dad told us what we were doing. And so we, we spent that night in the morning with Carlton and Morris. 
cool. Cool. Yeah, and then then we then we did a panel with him. Right. And he one. talked talked about his book. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just him. Oh my gosh, it was I think it was Gene Bates and Frank Barton. Yeah. It was George Peroni on that panel. Yeah, Barbara Fuller was. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't know if George was. I can't remember. I I'll have to go look. I don't remember. If it's, uh, because that was a big panel that right after lunch. Um, yeah, it sure was. I think it was Dresser Dolce that might have been on it. Yes, you're right. Dresser was on it. Yeah. Dresser was one of the nicest, down-to-earth, genuine people you'd ever want to meet. Of course, most people wouldn't recognize that voice in the Hollywood version of I Have a Nickel for You. Mm-hmm. He was on the bulk of them. I think Frank Martin was on some of them too, but mostly Dresser. Can you imagine? Let me get this interesting. John had no problem putting the article over over the internet here. I. It's funny because while you were talking to him, I was on the phone because my cousin called. Right. Because I just posted something on Facebook, and she, and I didn't know who. So I didn't know something because I couldn't obviously see it, and she called to tell me. So when I was done, you were talking, and I heard in the background as I was listening to her Jaws reading the stuff about the 1933 earthquake and so I yelled to John what did you do to make Jaws talk and he said I have no clue it just did really so then I said can you check and see how many people passed away from the 1971 quake so John is that what you're doing now yeah, I don't know if it'll play. I got another site here for the 71. Uh, let's see. No selectable area controls, combo boxes, list boxes, virtual piece, no select type of faulting, link thrust blank. Type of faulting, link blank, heading, le heading level heading level 2 chronological earthquake index, heading level 3 San Fernando earthquake. Type of faulting, link thrust time, February 9th, 1971-601 a.m. Pacific Standard Time location. 34 degrees 24.67 feet and 118 degrees 24.04 feet W magnitude, MW 6.5, depth 8.4 kilometers fault involved, Link San Fernando fault zone, minor offset reported on the eastern, Link Santa Susana fault zone, also known as the Silmar earthquake. This earthquake occurred on the Link San Fernando fault zone, a zone of thrust faulting which broke the surface in the Silmar San Fernando area. The total surface rupture was roughly 19 kilometers, 12 miles long. The maximum slip was up to 2 meters 6 feet. The earthquake caused over $500 million in property damage and 65 deaths. Most of the deaths occurred when the Veterans Administration Hospital collapsed. Several other hospitals, including the Olive View Community Hospital in Silmar pictured below suffered severe damage. Newly constructed freeway overpasses also collapsed, in damage scenes similar to those which occurred 23 years later in the Link 1994 Northridge earthquake, period. Loss of life could have been much greater had the earthquake struck at a busier time of day. Graphics San Fernando. In response to this earthquake, building codes were strengthened and the Alquist Priolo Special Study Zone Act was passed in 1972. The purpose of this act is to prohibit the location of most structures for human occupancy across the traces of active faults and to mitigate thereby the hazard of fault rupture. Link references. Same page link graphic top. Same page link graphic top. Okay. Okay, now what I would like you to do is just Google Washington State earthquake to see if anything comes up because i read this on facebook but i didn't read it in great detail somebody just said look out alaska look out oregon a fairly large earthquake just happened but i don't know anything about it except that supposedly according to someone on facebook and i can't even tell you who 
it did. So just Google Washington State earthquake to you know and see what comes up. Right. So 65 people in this quake, it was a little, it was actually stronger, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. So, I mean, I, I can't tell you whether the, the fact that we retrofitted and changed our codes helped us or if it's because it was done, it, it happened early in the morning and not as many people were out and about. Well, not sure. Which one? Oh my gosh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think so. I think you're right. If you think about the major earthquakes, they're either in California at least, the big ones we're talking about over the last 100 plus years, it have been early in the morning or once the sun, somewhat the sun has come down. It's either that, you know, if you think about it, most regular yeah, but in the morning. The 1989 one was done around a little after 5 o'clock, right at the beginning of the first game of the World Series. Oh, okay. So it's, it's interesting it's either in those windows, the big ones, so far. I don't know if this will give us much information, but we'll try it. Heading was level there 4 Washington, United States has had. Heading level 4 M1.5 or greater list of four items. One earthquake in the past 24 hours, 10 earthquakes in the past 7 days, 46 earthquakes in the past 30 days, 489 earthquakes in the past 365 days. List end. Heading level for the largest earthquake in Washington, United States. List of four items today. Link 1.8 and link Inglewood Finhill. Visited link Washington, link United States. This week, link 2.5 and link River Bend. Visited link Washington, link United States. This month, link 2.5 and link River Bend. Hang on, let's see. Heading level for earthquake alerts via Twitter. Twitter follow button frame. Link Maybe they're Heading level three places near Washington, United States list of one items, link the Pacific Northwest, list and list of wrapping to top, heading level four, uh, uh, link, heading uh, level four, really link story. Let me try and look again. one magnitude earthquake near Lazaro Cardenas, comma, Oaxaca, comma, Mexico. Okay, go ahead and kill that. Sorry to use that word in conjunction with earthquakes. Oh, we haven't talked about that on the air. No, and here's the list. It's interesting how close the cycles were. I didn't put the end dates on some of these. I probably should have. I'll be right back. Good. Change me in a couple months. No problem. The first one that they talk about is the defense bomb drive, and that is May 1, 1941. And I remember we have the broadcast. We played it a couple of times. Uh, July 2nd of 41 with Fred Allen and Mickey Rubin and Stevie Bowen that helped raise bombs. If you could hear Irving Berlin's song, Any Bond Today, uh, 
it before that dries. In during the war, the first war loan dry happened November 30th, 1942. So if you look at it, we were almost in war um, almost 11 months. Well, not almost a year before we asked for people to buy bonds. I remember if you went to the grocery show, especially, we were always talking about tire racking and things in the spring, I think by March of 42. The next one uh, happened fairly close after it, April 23, 42. So that was the second World War Drive. So if you look at it, November 30th, 42, December 23, 42. Maybe that's the end date. I think that's the end date. The next one, April uh, 12th, uh, 43, to May 5th, 43. That is the that is the second war loan drive. So that runs almost a month. I, can you remember off the top of your head if we have these shows that are associated with those dates you just gave? I know we do have the defense bonds, you know, the Treasury Hour one. I yeah. don't ever remember hearing one for number one or two. I think, we I think but we do have three, I think. Four for the fifth were only 15-minute programs. Maybe they were half hours. Maybe you're right. Four for the fifth, is that what you're saying? I think we have all of them. I don't know if Spurdback does, but I'm pretty sure I have all of them, I think. December 8th of 45. So those are the 
And I know we have an information plate show where they you had to buy a war bond to get into the show. And I think they did. So I think it was almost like a series. Um, they went throughout the country, and I don't remember right. what period. Don't we have a truth or consequences show as well, or is it just the results of the bond drive? Because they're from San Francisco. Yes, it, we do. I, I don't remember the connections with that, but we do. Mm-hmm. Right? We do. They, they do that. Um, I know in Martin's book he talked about the information team. I think after the end of the war, maybe summer of '45, went to Europe and did a whole series of information please out there for the troops. We should Google. Maybe there's a Wikipedia page too on the warbound drives. I won't do it now, but I can do it tomorrow. Well, it is 8 o'clock. Check your phone, John, and make sure we're on. Nobody calling us. We're probably not on, but so we'll probably play we haven't said anything that important tonight anyway. So we'll, we'll play a radio show for a half hour, so we'll have John, see if John can pull it off. I think if he tries to play a radio show, whatever we have will have died. So you want to have John drop box something to me? And I'll just play it for you. But I, I can't. I don't have Winamp. Okay. No, just find something that looks interesting and just drop box it without hearing it. Okay. We're on. We are on. Okay. Oh, hey, well, John, why don't you grab the information, please, with a bond speech? Or I'd have to look up the date. I think they did one in Pittsburgh, one in San Francisco. I don't know if, if we want Gary Google Gary Vlog that, that that might give us a clue. Yeah. Around forty four, I think. Um, that's what we have here. Okay. He'll get there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm closing apps on my phone, so. What's that? Closing apps in my phone. Oh. Should I walk over and just play a 15-minute show? That way it buys John a little time. Why don't you? Why don't we do that? Do you have something already queued up? Okay. It'll probably be Chesterfield Supper Club. He likes those John shows. Professional, Gassman and Hughes, Gassman and Hughes, Windows N, Desktop, FS3, Fibbermick, Friday Night Shanter, Friday Night Meet the Band, Bell Teller, Beverly, Breakfast C, Katia Deli C, Cavalcade of America C, Chesterfield Supper Enter, Chester, Chesterfield Supper Club 4, pa, Page Down, Chester pay, Page Down, Chesterfield Supper Club 490203, Epps, Lester. Unloading job can't, okay, Enter, Chester. Chesterfield Supper Club on the air five nights a week with America's greatest singing stars, Perry Como, Joe Stafford, Peggy Lee, and Peggy's guest for tonight, Nellie Lester. All brought to you by the milder cigarette, Chesterfield. A. 
Tom Reddy speaking for Chesterfield are more than 6,000 wholesale distributors and over a million retail outlets all over America, many of whom tell us that Chesterfields are selling faster every day. To you smokers, that means Chesterfields are fresher. Just one more good reason why Chesterfields are milder, much milder. And now, here's the star of our show, Peggy Lee. Hello there. And friends, it really is showtime at the Old Supper Club tonight, because along with the Barber family and Tom Reddy, that real gone gal, Nellie Lutcher, will be here in person. So come on, little David, let's get this ball rolling and make our first song for Mr. and Mrs. Ben Hogan. We know you'll hurry up and get well. Someone like you Cures everything gloomy Turns wrong into right The brightens the night Brings happiness to me Makes me luckier than throwing a seven Takes me nearer to heaven Than anyone's allowed to do When your heart is talking I feel like I'm walking on a cloud With someone like you Someday I'll find Someone I can boast to Somebody to hug A bug in a rug To snuggle up close to And whatever I do Do you know the who I'll give the most to You prey on my mind Stay till I find Someone like you Someday I'll find Someone I can boast to Somebody to hug A bug and a rug To snuggle up close to And whatever I do Do you know the who I'll give the most to You prey on my mind Stay till I find Someone like you Thank you very much friends, I guess every one of us has our favorite song. A young sailor named Wayne Smith, who's aboard the USS Thomas Jefferson, writes that all the boys in the second division like I'm in the mood for love. So Dave, the sextet, and I would like to do it for them, as well as for Johnny Thomas in Fort Worth, Texas. We'd enjoy doing yours, too, if you let us know. I'm in the to think of weather 
Ask any one of the millions of Chesterfield smokers all over America why Chesterfields satisfy, and you'll find it's because they're milder. But to know just how much milder Chesterfields are, take a tip from Alona Massey, one of the top stars of Hollywood, who tells us... I tried Chesterfields to find out why so many of my friends smoked them. Now I know. Chesterfields are milder, much milder. That's why it's my cigarette, too. Yes, that was Alona Massey, star of the Republic picture The Plunders, who spoke to you by transcription. And friends, after your first white pack of Chesterfields, be sure you do as Alona Massey does and always buy Chesterfields. They're milder, much milder, and they satisfy. <laughs> for tonight's big headliner, that real gone gal. Here is What's that a real re gone gal, Miss Lee? Well, who are you? My name's Billy Young. I heard that you were going to have a real gone gal here tonight. So I came down to find out what that is. What is it? Well, it, uh, th that means that, uh, well, that, that, uh, you know, this kid's throwing me a curve. Uh, is it someone who went away? No, it's someone named Nellie Letcher who's here to stay. Gee, you sound confused, Miss Lee. <laughs> well, I am confused. I need help. Nellie Letcher, come on out here. <laughs> oh, Nellie, I need help. Can you tell this young boy what a real gone gal is? Huh? Little man, you are looking at one. <laughs> I am? And if you come over here and sit down next to me, you're going to hear one. Because Nellie Lutcher is going to do her latest Capitol recording of Alexander's Ragtime Band. One, two, a buckle my shoe. Three, four, lock the door. Five, six, my wet kicks. Seven, eight, I've got a red hot date. Nine, ten, we can't forget the gin. Eleven, twelve, put your worries on the shelf and latch your cats. Come on here, come on here, Alexander Ray. Come on here, come on here, it's the best thing in the land. That bit of bugle call like you never heard before, so nervous that you want to go to war. That's just the best this band would have, I'm hunting. Come on along, come on along, let me lead you by the hand. Up to the man, up to the man, who's the leader of the band? And if you want to hear that one, they ever play. And right time, come on here, come on here, Alexander's right time band. Yeah. <laughs> 
And don't you budge one fraction before you do a little bit of real gone guy. Sure, Peggy. I met a guy while walking down the street. I met a guy while walking down the street. He looked at me. I looked at him. He took my hand. everybody thank you well Sonny now do you know what a real gone gal is oh miss Lotcher I'm real gone I'm real gone I'm real gone. from all over America from stores selling cigarettes we have word that Chesterfields are selling faster now to you smokers that means Chesterfields are fresher another reason why they're milder much milder Famous Hollywood stars smoke Chesterfields. Prominent farmers who grow tobacco smoke Chesterfields. And the top men in America's sports smoke Chesterfields because Chesterfields are milder, much milder. Lou Boudreau, playing manager of the Cleveland Indians, says, Chesterfield is my idea of a milder smoke. I never found any other cigarette that could take Chesterfield's place. It's my cigarette. So, friends, if you want the fresher cigarette, the much milder cigarette, always buy Chesterfields. They satisfy.
by Chesterfield. And folks, be with Perry Como and the Fontaine sisters tomorrow night. They'll be televised, too. So for now, good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And we do have information, please, ready to go, and I'll give it a try, and we'll see if I, if it fades out, you'll have to pick me up, but Roland, but I'll give it a try. Okay. So, so I grabbed the one from uh, the Warren Bond, Ward, Ward Bond, from the War Bond drive in uh, in Philadelphia okay. with Will Rogers Jr. as one of the oh. individuals on the show. So we can wait for a call or we can go right into it. We'll give 30 seconds or so before a call because we do have a guest at 9, so I want to make sure we're ready to go just before then. So it's up to you at 714-545-2071. This is one of my favorite shows. I really like information, please. And uh, I understand there's more out there that Jerry has, so eventually those will be released. So I'm glad to hear that. I think I've got a couple hundred of them. Mm. All right, John, let's give it a shot. All right, back we go then to January 8, 1943, and information, please. It's half past eight. It's half past eight Philadelphia time. Time to wake up America and stump the experts. Each week at this time, Lucky Strike challenges you to match your erudition against the combined brains of four almost know-it-alls. You provide the questions and our experts try to answer them. Remember, for every question used, Lucky Strike will give you not only $10 in war stamps, but a set of the 12-volume Britannica Junior Encyclopedia. If your question is muffed, you get the Junior Britannica, plus a $50 war bond, plus a 24-volume set of the regular Encyclopedia Britannica. Send your questions to Information, Please, 480 Lexington Avenue, New York City. If our editorial staff edits your questions a bit, don't fret over it. In case of similarity, we'll have to be sole judge of who shall be paid. And all questions become the property of information, please. And now, light of a lucky strike, as I present our master of ceremonies, book reviewer of the New Yorker magazine, Clifton Fadiman. Mr. Fadiman. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, although our program proceeds in its usual spontaneous manner, this is something of a special occasion. 
We are broadcasting from the stage of the Academy of Music in Philadelphia. Philadelphia marks stop number two in our barnstorming tour, conceived by the producer of Information, Please, Mr. Dan Golenfall. This tour is Mr. Golenfall's contribution to the Treasury Department's bond drive. Each seat in this tremendous hall represents a bond purchase of from $50 to $5,000, making a grand, and we mean grand, total of $3,337,183. Which is considerable dough even in Mr. Morgenthau's language. Now, tonight on this special occasion, we have as our board of experts Oscar Levant, Franklin P. Adams, John Curran, whose new column appears in the New York Sun and other papers, and as our guest, the young congressional representative from California, fresh from his tank destroyer unit where he served as a second lieutenant, the Honorable Will Rogers, Jr., Now, appropriately enough, our first question comes from an author who will probably owe his immortality to Philadelphia, Mr. Christopher Morley, the author of Kitty Foyle. And Mr. Morley, who hails from New York City, a secondary town, of course, uh, has uh, worked out a question about Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a city, says Mr. Morley, known for its warmth and affection, and that's true. What Philadelphian of the past or present is known by the affectionate name of Betsy. Betsy, Mr. Curran. Betsy Ross. Betsy who Ross. the first American flag. Quite right. And the, what... Uh, pardon? There are... I keep reading stories that she didn't uh, do the flag. I don't know. <laughs> well, this is not the time to bring that up, Mr. <laughs> you choose uh, stop number three to tell us that. Uh, Betsy Ross is popularly supposed to have created, sewn together the first American flag. And Mr. Kieran, what was her full name? This is Philadelphia, you know, and you better know it. Elizabeth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that isn't full enough. I don't know. Elizabeth Griscom Ross. Now, how about uh, what Philadelphian is known as Connie? Connie. Cornelius McGillicuddy. Yes, Cornelius McGillicuddy or Connie Mack. Quite he's, right. He's not from Philadelphia. He's been living here 70 years, but he's not from Philadelphia. <laughs> well, he's made a living here of a sort, hasn't he? Temporarily speaking. <laughs> and finally, what Philadelphian is known as Rosie? R-O-S-Y. Very famous Philadelphian. Rosie? Rosie, a great citizen of this town. Known as Rosie. Rosenblum? Rosenbaum? No. Rosie? Uh, you're near, though. It's the famous bibliophile and book collector. Oh, oh. Who is that? I still don't know. Rosen... Uh, yes? Rosen... Uh, That's right. <laughs> Rosenback. a boy, yes. A.S.W. Uh, Rosenback, Rosenback. A, a name well-known to everybody who loves books to in this country. anybody who has more than $50,000, you mean. Uh, <laughs> that gives us two out of three. And while we're on the subject of Philadelphia, I'd like to get one thing settled that's always worried me. Mr. Morley, in his book, talks of the main line a good deal. How, how far does the main line run, socially speaking? Do to any Trenton. Of you, Mr. <laughs> well, I, I mean, uh, Mr. Oh, I don't know. Maybe around Haverford or Chestnut Hill around there. Uh, you're just guessing. If it weren't for the fact that I have the answer on the card, I wouldn't know. Mr. Levant? 
far as Ginger Rogers was concerned, it ran to New York. She ran to New York. <laughs> that was her main line, but the actually, I understand, it's from Philadelphia to Paoli. Would that be about right? Uh, actually, of course, the main line on the railroad goes from Philadelphia to Chicago, but from the Philadelphians' point of view, it stops at Paoli. <laughs> and that uh, sends us on to a question from Mrs. S.S. Groglode of Ohio. To what outfit would an American soldier belong if you heard him talking about these things? Suppose you heard him say... Geronimo, what outfit would he belong to? Uh, Mr. Rogers. I believe he'd belong to the uh, parachute uh, battalion. That's quite right. Do you have any idea why he would be? Well, they're supposed to uh, yell that, I believe, in order to keep their... uh, uh, say something so that their head can be clear as they fall through the air. Yes. And when they land. Yes, it's a tradition, not very old, uh, to call Geronimo as a a signal that, that they're about to jump. It's ecstasy, the way I heard it on the radio. It's what? It's a kind... Well, forget it. All right. Uh, Now, suppose... uh, Suppose you heard an American soldier say, Bazooka. What would he be talking about? Bazooka. Mr. Rogers again. He'd be talking about a very secret weapon. Tell us all about it. (laughs) It's a swell weapon, I can assure you. Yes. And, um... Well, then what outfit is it used? Well, we use it, and the tank destroyers have used it. But I don't know who would use it... I don't know what you have on your card. Well, I have tank destroyers on my card. Yes, he would be a member of a tank destruction outfit. Was that your own job, Mr. Rogers, before you uh, demoted yourself? We used all weapons. That's a very good weapon, I should like to say, and may be quite a surprise. The way you talk about it, it's a secret weapon. What is it? I hope it'll be the surprise that you say it will be, Mr. Rogers. And how about this one? If an American soldier used the phrase, in the barrel... Uh, what outfit would he belong to? In the barrel. Oh, we've got two out of three on this, so you can uh, exercise your fantasy. Mr. Kieran? My fantasy would say he'd be on a submarine. No. No, he'd be a member of a daylight bombing squadron because the term in the barrel is used to describe an accurate hit in precision bombing, the sort of stuff that our boys are trained to do in daylight bombing raids, right in the barrel. Now, how about this one from Jane Deck of Atlanta, Georgia? This is about characters in poems who died under peculiar conditions. The first character is in a poem, and, and he died while giving a soldier a drink. Who was that? Mr. Kieran. That was poor, dear old Gunga Dean. Gunga Dean, yes. I hope you like your drink, sir, he said just before he died. That's right. Now, what were you going to say, Mr. Adams? Same thing. Good. Very good. <laughs> uh, Mr. Rogers? A point of information. Uh, who no was the man that, that gave, uh, uh, gave him the drink... Out of a canteen. Philip Sidney? Philip Sidney. Yes, but that wasn't a character in a poem. That was a real chap. Real Elizabethan. Have you learned something, Mr. Rogers? I have. <laughs> well, that's more than most congressmen do so early in their career. <laughs> uh, name the character in a poem who died after delivering news of victory. He died, uh, Mr. Levant. Is that the marathon man? I think he did He die. didn't live long after that run. No, he didn't. <laughs> that's right. Mr. Adams, another one? Smiling, the boy fell dead. Yes, and who was this boy? I don't know. He was silly. Uh, (laughs) Mr. Kieran, can you help out, Mr. Adams? Well, the name of the marathon messenger who did fall dead, according to uh, Browning's poem, was Pheidippides, and there is no name to the uh, young boy who flew out and took the battery smoke at the Battle of Ratisbonne. Yes, uh, Mr. Adams was thinking of what poem? Browning's, an incident in the French camp. Yes. You see, he has no names, Adams. You will never know who your boyfriend is. Now, how about this one? A character in a poem who died because she looked out the window. 
Mr. Kieran. The Lady of Shalott. The Lady of Shalott. Tennyson. Very good. Well, that gives us three uh, dying characters out of three, and that's enough for a gloomy question. How about this one from Ruth Harmon of Union City, New Jersey? Here's the situation, gentlemen. Let's say there's a news commentator in Burma. And this news commentator wants to tell his audience which of the United Nations are engaged in a battle. Now, to get by the local censor, he sings these songs into the mic. We're going to have them play. Which nations are in the fighting? In other words, the songs ought to indicate the nation that he means is engaged in the battle in Burma. Is that absolutely clear or is it quite unclear? Well, let's have the first. <laughs> That's a tricky one. Uh, I have, Mr. Rogers, is that your hand up? I'll make a guess. Yeah. Irish? It no. can't be Irish. No. McCree? Scotch? Uh, no. What's the, what's the song that was played? Mr. Levant? He guessed. Let him guess the name of the song. <laughs> I guess Mother McCree. No, no that's not Mother uh, charms. Endearing Charms. It sounds very much like Believe Me If All Those yeah. Endearing Young Charms, but that isn't Wait, right. I know what it is. Yes, Mr. Levant. Is that a cowboy thing? That's right. And what nation would be... Uh, involved. Well, you'll get smart. What country has cowboys? Yes. Ah, kid. Ah, kid. That's coming right back at me. Uh-huh. It would, of course, be the American. Gary Cooper, it would be. Uh, that gives us uh, one wrong. Now we have to get the next one. Let's have the next code message. <laughs> Mr. Levant has two hands up. Chinese. Chinese. What was being played? A Chinese lullaby from east as west, a play by the late Samuel Shipman. Very good. Yes, that's a perfect answer. Pretty song. And a pretty neat reply, too. And now the third and last musical code message. <laughs> Mr. Rogers. But he is an Englishman. Very good, yes. Very good. Uh, whose, whose song is that, Mr. Rogers? Who wrote it? Is it Gilbert or Sullivan's? <laughs> ask, Mr., uh, ask Mr. Adams. He's right there. Sullivan wrote the music to that boy. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Father. Now you've exhausted Adams' information for the whole evening. <laughs> All right, that gives us two out of three. How about this one from Mary E. Rowell of Cumberland, Maryland? Let's see. There are four of you, aren't there? I hope. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, see if you can mention four colloquial terms that name foods that might be used as substitutes for meat on Meatless Tuesdays. In other words, any, any colloquial term using the name of any other food that might be used as a substitute for ordinary uh, meat, Mr. Levant. You poor fish. <laughs> yes, personal remarks are barred on it. <laughs> Uh, that's very good, however. What's the difference between meatless days and the days you're supposed to be able to get meat, incidentally? That's just the... You mean you can get meat on meatless Tuesdays? I don't know. No, you uh, can't. Now, uh, poor fish is a perfectly good one, Mr. Kieran. Let him eat crow. Let him eat crow? Aren't you mixing that up with Marie Antoinette's let him eat cake? No, well, let him eat crow now. <laughs> <laughs> to eat crow is, a, is yes, a, an old crow. expression, sure. Uh, Mr... Uh, Adams. A man of your kidney. 
That's all right. Because uh, Mr. Adams is quite right, because kidneys are allowed on Tuesdays. Uh, Leave her alone and like it. Oh, that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Mr. Kieran? On on Meatless Tuesday, why, you can make your enemy eat his own words. That isn't as bad as meat. Yeah, it's an awful cheap topple dote meal. We're Uh, a turkey here. Yes, that's a very good one. Lay an egg. Lay an egg. There we are. Mr. Mr. Rogers, what were you going to say? I'll have your liver and your lights. Liver or your lights. Liver, liver or your lights. Very good. Those are are both things you can eat if you wish on Meatless Tuesdays. And now Mr. Rysdale, without naming any names, says that experts are likely to be rather critical people. Well, Mr. Fadiman, I mean critical in a good sense. For example, a tobacco expert smoking a cigarette obviously does so with a full knowledge of the facts. Certainly, mildness and better taste depend upon fine tobacco. And that's worth remembering when you consider that the overwhelming preference of independent tobacco experts goes to Lucky Strike. These experts, auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen, know tobacco from A to Z. So they can't help but know the kind of tobacco that means a better smoke for you. And at auctions they attend, they obviously see who buys what tobacco. Yes, year after year, tobacco experts see Lucky Strike consistently select the riper, lighter, milder leaf. Smokers, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. Mr. Fadiman, have I shown that Luckies have what it takes to please the critical? Yes, Mr. Rysdale, your 60-second summary makes clear why, with men who know tobacco best, it's Lucky's two to one. And now the next question comes from a gentleman, presumably from Washington, who prefers to be unnamed, and you will see why when I read the question to you. I assure you that we will pay out in any case, but we will not name the asker of this question. Who made each of these remarks about the government and its employees? The first remark is as follows. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a committee by the toe. If they holler, give them dough. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Who said that? Mr. Levant. Uh, that could be in, uh, let, uh let, not let him eat cake, uh, of the I sing. That's right. Remember the character who did, uh, Throttle, sing? Throttle Bottom. Throttle Bottom is right, yes. Yeah. of the Senate. Uh, was it about the Senate? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that lets you out, The, uh, the uh, Senate uh, meets to, uh, impeach... William Gaxon, who at that time was Wintergreen for president. Very good, yes. That gives us practically the complete plot for your charge. Now, how about who said this? Fleas, fleas can be taught practically anything that a congressman can. <laughs> Mr. Rogers, do you have any idea? I protest. Exception. Uh, Mr. Kieran? I any? thought it might be Will Rogers. Sounds very much as if it would be, but it's Mark Twain. Mark Twain said, please can be taught practically anything that a congressman can. And, uh... I didn't think it was the old man's. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who said this? What this country needs in Congress is a man who owns his own dress suit. That's him. (laughs) That's him. You know what I'd like to hear you say, Mr. Rogers? I'd like to hear you say that sentence your own way. Because I bet it sounds a lot like the way your father used to say it. What this country needs in Congress is a man who owns his own dress suit. Just say it for us, will you? Uh, seriously? Yeah, sure. 
Just say it. What this country needs in Congress is a man who owns his own dress suit. Well, that sounds a little bit like the old man. No. Not so funny. No, no. Pretty Not good. good. <laughs> that gives us three out of three. Now, how about two out of three? Now, how about this one from Corporal Technician Victor Cates of Wilson, North Carolina? In army talk, what's the difference between these words? Among these words, we might say, furlough, pass, and leave. What's a furlough? Mr. Kieran. Um... Soldier goes on furlough if it's a, a, a time limit over a pass leave limit, which is a short. Uh, you go on pass downtown, you might get a, an overnight pass. Well, now, uh, that's the idea, but exactly how many days, Mr. Three Rod? days, I believe, is a pass. Uh, under three days or over for a furlough? Under for a pass and over for a furlough. That's exactly right. Wrong. Wrong? I say uh, a furlough is... Anything over three days for an enlisted man. Didn't he say that? What else did I say? I thought he said I thought he said that. What he means is that an officer goes on leave. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I hope to have caught him. <laughs> yes. If an officer goes on leave for more than three days, that's called leave. Absence from duty for over three days. What is AWOL? That's not a furlough, is it? <laughs> that would be the kind of furlough that you'd probably have to get, Mr. Levant, if you were in the army. Gosh, it seems tough to uh, stumping you people. How about this one from Abraham Kaplan of Washington, D.C.? Uh, one is our nation's capital, if you're a commentator. Whose language is being characterized in these lines? And my language is plain. Whose language is being... Uh, Mr. Adams. Uh, that's Bret Hart. In well, the, Bret Hart's the author of the line. Bret Hart, uh, and my language is plain... That's the heathen Chinese. Yes, you've got the uh, right poem, all right. But whose language is characterized by that? Who, who says that about his own language, Mr. Kieran? Truthful James. Truthful James, yes. Plain language from Truthful James. That's the James. title of the poem, isn't it? That's the title. Plain the title. speaking from Truthful James. Plain language from Truthful James. Plain language, Mr. Rogers, that's right. You are all right. Uh, <laughs> you're doing fine, Mr. Rogers. Now, how about this one? She speaks a various language. Who is the she in she speaks a various language? I have both Mr. Kieran and Mr. Adams. I'll uh, go by alphabet. Mr. Adams. Uh, I'll brain you if you get this wrong, Mr. Adams. <laughs> See, you don't know. To uh, That's a reflex him who in the love of nature. Oh, yes, you got the poem all right. Uh, Mr. Kieran, who's <laughs> well, the one? Well, he just named it Nature. Nature. Yes, yes, Nature. Sure. Ma Nature. Yes, my nature. That's the one. Now, how about uh, bad language or abuse? Whose language is characterized, Mr. Adams? Uh, Captain Corcoran's. Uh, who's he, what's he from? He is from HMS Pinafore, or the last who loved a sailor. Yes, very good. And how, how does he happen to say, uh, use the phrase bad language or abuse? Can you give us a line or two in which that occurs? I never, never use whatever the emergency. I never use what? I never use a big, big D. Yeah. What, never? Hardly no, ever. <laughs> All right. Three out of three, and now one from Ralph Baltzell of New York City. And this is a difficult musical question, gentlemen. Mr. Rogers, how are you on music? Very poor. Very poor. Well, you can sit in with Adams and uh, Kieran, then. Each of the following symphonies is opened by a solo instrument. I want you to identify the symphony and the instrument. Let's have the first. Uh, Mr. Levant. It's either Sibelius or the old oak and bucket. 
Well, I suppose we throw out the bucket and leave Sibelius. And which symphony is that? What number? Opus number what? I think it's uh, seven. It's number two, I think. Sibelius number two. And what is the instrument? Don't look. Oboe, 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 oboe. All right, very good. And now the second of these tests. Mr. Levant again. The piano plays there, too. That's in the Shostakovich, uh, number one, uh, the, the scherzo, right after the foist movement. That's very good, yes. Very good. And what, what was the instrument Mr. Levant was played? It was a trumpet. Yes, muted trumpet, quite right. And now the third and last of these. Well, you, the rest of you boys are sure having a rest. I've got two hands for Mr. Levant. That's very pathetic. That's a pathetic symphony of yes. Tchaikovsky. Yes. A bassoon. A bassoon, yes. That's three out of three. And now, before we go on to the next question, here's Mr. Cross, who is willing to wager that you never thought of this as a cradle song. Yes, ladies and gentlemen... That historic chant is truly a lullaby for tobacco. The riper, lighter, milder, lucky strike leaf that's sold American at auctions all over the South actually goes to sleep for two to four years to age and mellow for your lucky strike. Indeed, as visitors to Richmond, Virginia may have noticed, above our great storehouses there is a big sign reading, Quiet, please, tobacco asleep. And in Durham and Reedsville, North Carolina, in Lexington, Kentucky, and elsewhere in the tobacco country, sleep many more hundreds of millions of pounds of fine Lucky Strike tobacco. Ladies and gentlemen, these facts help to illustrate how important fine tobacco is to your smoking enjoyment. Before you light your first Lucky Strike, just stop and think that it took two to four years for that Lucky to be born. Then light up your Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. And enjoy to the full the mildness and mellowness of fine tobacco. Carefully selected, patiently aged, perfectly blended. Thank you, Mr. Cross. And now a question from R.J. McBride of Washington, D.C. What nations successfully used these tactics in fighting against tanks? Uh, what one used airplanes equipped with anti-tank cannon? Mr. Rogers. Everyone knows that, the Russians. The Russians. And what were those planes called? Storm or Vic. Storm or Vic, yes. You have a very fine Russian accent. Is <laughs> that out in California? I like my English accent. <laughs> That's quite right. Now, which, which nation used buried anti-tank guns? Mr. Levant. Germany, in their first retreat from Russia, they dug them as a uh, defense, you know, instead of... Uh... Uh, the, Germany is right. Whether they used it against the Russians, That's I don't know. the first time they retreated. They must have. Is that right, Mr. Rogers? You well, seem to know about that. Uh, probably right. Well, I also am informed that the uh, Germans used them against the British in Libya in the spring of 1942, but they might have used it in Russia so at the same did. time. So they did. All right. Now, how about a nation that used self-propelled artillery in fighting tanks? Oh, no. Uh, Mr. Kieran. We're using them right now. Yes, we are, and before us, who did? Mr. Rogers? Well, the Germans used them. They did use self-propelled artillery? I'd hate I, to think I, that. I thought we had the edge on them there. What about the Italians in those Toronto and the Mediterranean? That's not artillery, that's Arti the Navy. Uh, uh, I know, but, but it's generally considered American. Generally, it's considered American, but I understand the British used them in their breakthrough at El Alamein. 
great victory of some time ago. Well, of which a great deal of it was our own, I believe. Our own, our own self-propelled artillery? Well, it's nice to know that. And how about uh, this one from Robert Delson of New York? Identify these famous performers. The first was a pianist who talked to himself in public. Mr. Levant? Vladimir de Pachman. Vladimir de Pachman. A cutie, too. He was cute. <laughs> you haven't learned anything from him, Mr. Levant? Very Levin? much. I talk about him and to myself all the time. <laughs> Vladimir de Pachman, yes. How about a conductor who lectured his audience on their lack of taste? Uh, Mr. Adams. That might be El Stokowski. Yes. Uh, where, did, uh, where did this happen, Mr. Adams? I think it happened in this here hall. Yeah. <laughs> it was the same hall, but naturally an entirely different audience. Uh, Mr. Levant? It was at the performance of the Schoenberg Violin Concerto. Yes. Uh, by the way, is it good? Well, as far as I'm concerned, Schoenberg's a great composer, and it's good. Well, you're... And I know I, uh, I'm uh, getting Philadelphia hostile. But... <laughs> well, they're very nice about that sort of thing. They'll forget what you said in no time. Uh, how about this? I don't want him to forget. I want him to remember. And listen to Schoenberg? That's too much all at one time. Uh, identify this uh, performer. He appeared on the stage with his instrument, but he never played it. Mr. Levant. Last year, there was a radio gag, and uh, somebody appeared at Olean Hall. A. Olean Hall. No, Town Hall. Olean Hall's been dead for years. Hasn't it, though? Uh, it was a gag. I wouldn't take it or... What's the name of that program? I don't know. Shut up or put up or whatever it is. <laughs> take it or leave it? I don't know. And uh, it was a gag. Uh, couldn't play at all. Well, uh, also, there's another performer, more famous, Joe Cook. He used to tell the story about the four Hawaiians. He had a mandolin in his hand. He never, he never well, did I will play. not Ukulele. Ukulele, something of the sort. How about this one from F.I. Whiteman of New Haven? On what front of World War I were these soldiers of fiction located? The first is Sergeant Grisha. Who is Sergeant Grisha? Uh, Mr. Levant. That's the Russian, Russian-German front. In what war? World War I. World War I, yes. And you'll find uh, Sergeant Grisha in what book? Sarge, the case of Sergeant Grisha by Swag, Arnold Swag. Very good. How about this one? On what front of uh, World War I was Lieutenant Henry located? Lieutenant Henry, Mr. Levant. Italian. Very good. And Sergeant, and Sergeant Quirk, Mr. Kieran. He was on the Western Front in the American Army and what price That's calling. exactly right, and that's all we'll have time for. Thank you, Mr. Rogers, for joining our Bond tour this evening. In a few seconds, I'll announce next week's guest. And we'll triumphantly announce that, owing to the fact that the brains of these gentlemen have been stimulated by their stay in Philadelphia, we have paid out no sets of the Encyclopedia Britannica and no $50 war bonds tonight. Next week, in addition to Mr. Adams and Mr. Kieran, we announce our old friend, the music critic and composer, Deems Taylor, and Charles Coburn, outstanding stage and screen actor, well-remembered for his role in The Devil and Miss Jones, and more recently in George Washington Slept Here, and soon to appear in The More the Merrier. Remember, send letters with questions and the correct answers to information, please, at 480 Lexington Avenue, New York City. And now a parting message from Mr. L.A. Speed Riggs, famous tobacco auctioneer from Goldsboro, North Carolina. Let that historic chant remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that lucky strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. No wonder that with men who know tobacco best, it's luckies two to one. And that's where it ends. 
from January 8 of 1943. And uh, that, that started to play again because there's a, there's a function in Winamp repeat and apparently must be checked. So I'll have to go in there and fix that. But hope you enjoyed that. They did several of those war bond shows uh, throughout 1943, and we've got several of them. But that was one, one of the more entertaining ones. Of course, Will Rogers later went on to have the Rogers of the Gazette show on CBS where he played a, a newspaper man. And we haven't played one of those in a while, so maybe we should do that one of these days. Oh, I forgot about that. You're right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of fun. Very quick people. Absolutely. I mean, and the topics. I mean, don't you think that makes you feel like, at least me, how unprepared I would be for some of those categories, like literature and right. some of those stuff where it just it's it's kind of like some of the TV game shows that came along later where you just had to be able to remember that stuff and I'm not one of those people who can do that on a on a regular basis. I you know, I know a lot about some things but there are a lot of things I don't know a whole lot about. Yeah, I, I, some things in my life I've really never studied really hard. And so I you know, and like literature and arts and things like that just not in my wheelhouse and that and well, and I think those were days when people really spent a lot of time learning about literature and, and history. And we don't get that. It's not stressed today. And so you got a lot of people who have no clue as to what's going on. I think our education system has changed a lot, if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. You ever look at our president of the United States and what they studied, those types of topics we never were exposed to. I mean, I, I mean, the foreign language I took was, was Spanish two years back. I mean, I didn't study Latin and Greek and everything like that. No, it, it's all changed. They don't offer that kind of stuff today. You, Not not that you're growing up and going through uh, grammar in high school. No way. And I, and I don't know how much basic literature that's even taught. I mean, I think we get maybe you know, books and novels, but mm -hmm. I don't think we get the overall depth analysis like they probably did back then. They read a little, you know, we have books that they have to read for high school and college, but I mean, not to the extent where you study specific people in literature, you know, unless you're going to college and you study that field, but it's not anything that everybody would do. I would say for language, mm -hmm. they get about as far as Pig Latin, and that's about it today. Pig Latin is when I was in, I had to take a basic computer programming class to graduate in yeah. UCI, and the examination was to develop a program to translate Pig Latin into English. Oh, really? Yes. So that was the How far did you get? Well, I had a friend who knew computer programming, so he came and helped me fill in all the uh, code. But as you know, I mean, if you, if you get those zeros and ones all screwed up, you'll never get the program right, you know. Sure. Write out the formulas and things. So, well, at least I got through the class, you know. But that was a requirement when I was going to college in the '80s to have a computer programming class. Yeah, and that's changed a lot today too. So oh, you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, that's true. 
did you ever consider any other you, your degree in communication, right, John? Yes. Did you ever consider any other degrees, or you pretty much knew that was going to be your bread and butter? Oh no, I, that, that was the one that I chose. Uh-huh. And back when I was going to college, the computer accessibility wasn't nearly what it is today. So, I mean, I never had a computer in college. I didn't have a computer um, until 1999 at home. And a couple of years earlier at Braille Institute, I learned how to use the computer. But, you know, by then I was done with college. So, so think about it. So if you were going to college, let's say, in the last 10 years, at, you know, let's just put the clock back, you could have gone into comp- uh, computer sciences or something, John, probably. Could be. You know? Yeah, very well could be. Because you have, you have a, a love and a knack for that, you know, technology and adaptive technology. I can... I guess you do something like that. Yeah, I think I probably would have if, if I had been a lot younger and if it had been a part of my life as it is today for kids who, who literally grow up with the computer and now the iPad at school, that type of thing. I mean, everybody's got an iPad at work or at school. Yeah. It's pretty common now in the work environment to have two computer screens with, computer, with computers nowadays. You know, they split the screen and you got two monitors going. It's pretty mm-hmm. common in the work environment. At least out in the Irvine company. I, I don't know if that's the same way at Disney. Maybe not in the travel part. No, not for us because for, for me, I don't like to do that only because it's very easy to get confused. Mm-hmm. So I have one screen open. And, and some people who are sighted do have two, but you know it's easier to keep track of when you're sighted. When you're listening to a screen reader in one ear and the guest in the other ear, uh, Having two screens open with the same information on it is not easy. I mean, you you get lost and don't don't remember. You know, what screen am I on? Yeah, you would need a so, you would need a third ear. Yeah, you would. So I I only go with one one screen at a time. We're gonna have a guest in five minutes. I'm gonna call Aaron Laser. He is a Broadway singer performer. He has a show in L.A. on Monday, so that's why we asked to have him on. So. We'll see if that comes available in five minutes. We'll talk to him for a little bit about music. He was a studying medicine, and he wound up, uh, I think, broke for him in the music field. He studied, uh, I think, music later, got his master's in the field. And so we'll definitely talk about music with our upcoming guests. After that, John will have to pick out another show. Hey, the computer's working tonight. Isn't that something? Like it is tonight. I don't know if it'll go to if, if it'll work tomorrow or not, but it's working right now. That's pretty good. So John, it's pretty lucky. So John uh, is pulling the show. So if you have a request, you can email John during our interview for the next half hour or so at johngasman at roadrunner.com if you have a, a request. And Maybe I will do a, a Rogers of the Gazette after that'd this. Be great. I love yeah. that series. That's a, that's a well that's great series. series. It's a well-lit series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Joyce Ellis, Farley Bear, uh, Howard McNear, pretty much the CBS doc company was with them, with that show. Even John Dana. And uh, there's a few with Richard Beals in there. And um, even uh, Mary McGovern, uh, Johnny McGovern's sister played Roger's daughter in, in that show. So, so that, that's a great one. So with that, you, you know the next show. If you have something else, you can email John. I don't know if John got access to Facebook during the show. Most likely. You, you can yeah, I do. Uh, you could uh, friend John at, on his Facebook page. 
Rory and I also on Facebook. I don't look at it during the show. Um, so, if you want to reach out to us during the show, email John at johngaffney at roadrunner.com or go to Facebook and you can say, hey, John, you know, whatever. And so, John could be our, our go-to person with that. Uh, tomorrow, Ed Krupp will be with us. And we will record Michael Bill in Germany during the day. So, it won't be a hard stop with Ed. You know, if he wants to go a little longer or requires for going good, we've got a little flexibility tomorrow with Ed Krupp. Larry and I are pre-recording Perry Huntoon on Tuesday with Will Bradley. And so, that will be heard in the month of October. And then a week from tomorrow, the next live scheduled guest is Eric Tracy. Eric had a, a national talk show that John Roy were at least a guest each once and probably more than more than once. Um, yeah, I, I at least once, I, maybe twice, I'm not sure. And I think Eric came from New, or New Orleans, I think, originally. And I think that's where you moved the show out here, but it was never heard really in the L.A. market, per se. Uh, but then... Later moved to KBC and really became a mainstay of the sports team of KBC Radio. So it'll be nice to have Eric on for a little while, a week from tomorrow on October 1st. Nick Hilcher, who's the current director of the Glenmore Orchestra, will be with us Friday, October 13th. Um, on the 20th, a singer named Aaron Dickerson will be with us. And then Kathy Fuller, who's written a brand new book on Jack Benny, will be with us Friday, October 27th. On Saturday, October the 7th, Tom Valen from the Santa Claus School will be with us. And Bobby Rydell from the schedule for Saturday, October 21. Basically, we, because Patricia's without power, so pretty much a lot of parts of Fort Myers is not up and running two weeks after, so in her facility, she doesn't have telephone service, so that's why Patricia's taking some time off. We'll wait until she's in a position that she can take phone calls before we have her back on. With that, I'm going to go get the guest. So, you want me to put a little music on, John, while you're looking for stuff? Yeah, I've got the show. I'm just waiting for it to get queued up. So, it'll be Rogers of the Get Show, because that show, actually from November, I mean, uh, September 23rd, of 53. So, we'll do that in a while.
Tim and Mr. Show. Aaron Glazier, welcome to our show. Aaron Lazar, how are you? Good, Aaron. Well, give me an idea. Uh, when's your show is on Monday and where? Give me a location. Uh, Rockwell Table and Stage in Los Feliz, Los Angeles. Hollywood, California, 8 o'clock. Be there. And how can people get tickets? Is there a website? Should you get them to the location? How's the, how's the best? I think it's, uh, it's la-rockwell.com. His volume is really low. Right, no problem. Let me call you on a different line. I'm going to get you on a different line, and that way we can raise you up. So I'll call you right back. Oh, okay. Okay. Thanks. So Walden's part of the interview is really good, but <laughs> but uh, Aaron's level was really low, and even uh, the, the automatic volume on yesterday at USA couldn't bring that up. So we'll get him back on a different line, and then Walden can ask those questions and others again, and get some good information from Aaron. And I know some of you are tuned in tonight just so you can listen to Jaws, so I'll be quiet here. Welcome so to that's where Press Jaws stops talking. Oh, well, that's the way it goes. Timing is everything. And we'll get back to more radio shows after we finish talking with Aaron. But until then, which will be a few minutes, we'll we'll hear from Aaron and some other things that are going on with him. And uh, I'll check my email while the interview is on. And if you have shows you'd like to hear, then we'll be happy to play them tonight. Uh, I'll be on for a little while, and so will Larry. And then uh, Walden has got stuff to play as well after we finish up. So lots of good stuff coming your way. I think we got a good good volume with you. So once again, give us the address and the location that you'll be on Monday. Rockwell Table and Stage. You know, uh, Hollywood. Los Angeles, 8 o'clock. Okay. And... Uh, tell us about the show. Is it a little bit from your Broadway show? Is it uh, the American Songbook? What, what's going to be the uh, the offering? Uh, it's probably hits from stage and screen. Um, so it's just some of Broadway's classics, some of my favorite songs, and it range probably from 1928 to the 19. Well, no, to 2000. 15, so we're covering almost 100 years, which is pretty cool. Mm. So did you study music history while you were in college? Uh, I was looking, reading a little bit about you. Was that an interest of yours in college, or did that happen while you became a professional? I went to Duke University on a scholarship for music, major in music, and then minor pre-med. So I was there. Really, I thought I was there to, to go to med school, and while doing that, I was balancing science stuff with my music courses, and some of those courses were music history. I had to take a lot of music history, and then it ended up just flipping where I took the MCAT and took three years off to go to graduate school for theater and then moved to New York City and uh, started working and never looked back. So did your career take off right away, or was it once you went to New York, or was it uh, just beating the doors down? How was it those you know, when you first made the move? I think it's always beating the doors down. I mean, no matter what level you're at, there's always doors to beat down. I, I started by, by understudying. I uh, understudied in the Broadway National Tour, and then I understudied in two Broadway shows, and then I said, I don't want to understudy anymore. And, and so I probably went unemployed for a year and a half, 
worked in London and stuff as far as working on Broadway, and then and then was cast uh, in the Light in the Piazza at Lincoln Center, and then that sort of was the beginning of my career as um, you know a, a lead player on Broadway. How do you do? How do you currently work your schedule now? Is it mostly you see what's happening in New York, then you decide what you want to take on the road? How do you how do you balance your your schedule? That's a great question. I, I think, you know, I have children now and, um, you know, other responsibilities. So uh, I think it's about a balance, about what makes you happy. I was, I was you know, blessed to work on Broadway and 10 different shows over 15 years and, um, and then decided it was time when the television and film stuff started to pick, pick up to, to move to L.A. So I'm just trying to stay in L.A. and focus on the screen stuff. Uh, because it's something I've always wanted to do, and that's hard because New York is, you know, will always be a home to me. So uh, it's tough to not go back and and do the theater. But I think you know that's the tricky thing about being an actor is you, you have to you have to sort of make yourself available for the things you want to do. So I imagine the the vibe of New York theater versus Hollywood TV and pictures are a totally different animal by itself. Am I, would I be correct with that? Uh, I think to a certain extent that's, that's sort of the way it appears. But honestly, the theater is so expensive, right? Um, it, it costs so much money to see a Broadway show, just, just ticket price alone. And there's just a there's a handful of producers who um, have become, you know, the big go-to guys, and there's a handful of theater owners. It's a very small community, and so similar to Hollywood, you, know, you, have, a, you have a finite number of studios and um, finite number of networks, and the power players are at the top. So it's certainly a, a much smaller, much smaller uh, animal, so to speak. But I think I think they operate probably. In, way, in more similar ways than people might expect. What about theater in L.A.? Have you considered doing some more things in the theater part out here, or is it strictly your time is so filled up with family plus trying to build the TV and film career that that sort of push out theater out here? I'd love to do Yeah, I know. I'd, I'd love to do theater in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the... I think the the spaces out here are beautiful and audiences are great. And, um, yeah, if it's the right project, I, I, you know, I was thrilled to work on Merrily We Roll Along at the Annenberg last fall. So when it's the right thing, I'd love to do it. So on Monday, Aaron, how did you decide what song did, did you, did you have your, a normal book that you, and how big is the, Orchestra, is there an orchestra or a combo, piano player? What would be your support on Monday? So this is a, this is a, a sort of a debut of a new show, the idea of which I've had for a long time. And um, I started with a song list that's probably 100 songs mm. because it's Broadway's greatest hits from stage and screen and it's some of my favorite music and music that has been a big part of my life for since I was, you know, did my first musical when I was a freshman in high school. So uh, 
it was really tough to narrow it down. And then, you know, you get it narrowed down. And by the time you get you narrow it down by trying stuff out. Um, and by the time you get to that point, it's like, wow, we don't have that much time before we got to put this thing up on its feet. So there wasn't actually enough time to chart the show for uh, anything other than piano and voice. So my music director, Jesse Kissel, who's a brilliant pianist, accompanist, and arranger, flew in from New York, and um, it'll just be me and Jesse. But that's kind of cool because that's the way we started the, the last cabaret that I did sort of you know, to a great deal of success for the last five years. And you just sort of start it small and it becomes the seed of an idea that grows and grows and grows. So we'll see. We'll see. Fortunately with this, I've learned a lot from putting the previous one together. So um, it's been an easier process and the set is more commercial. So it's, it's been, it's been really fun. So it will be one act. Will you have intermission between uh, or how would, when people come on Monday? Yeah, this one's probably going to be 75 minutes straight, and then we'll probably extend it to a 90-minute show with a 45-minute act break. Um, and then, you know, for pop symphonies and stuff, it'll have a slightly different form as well. And for people who want to keep track of future uh, things you're working on, is there a, a website, Facebook page, anything we can get the word out for you? Yeah, social media, man. I have, I have a website, AaronLazar.com, and uh, Instagram, Aaron Lazar official or official Aaron Lazar, something like that. Um, I Facebook too, but I, I don't, I sort of, uh, I sort of focus on Instagram these okay. days. Okay. So once again, before we let you go, what time and your location on Monday? Well, thanks so much. Rockwell table and stage eight o'clock. And I hope you guys can make it. If you like, uh, if you like anything Broadway, anything, an all great American songbook and Broadway. I think it's going to be uh, a show that you'll really, really enjoy. Thank you, Aaron. Have a good evening. Thank you so much. Yeah. You too. Have a great rest you of your show. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And uh, John and I are holding on to Fort. You can give us a call at 714-545-2071. We got a New York phone number, so I guess he's moving full-time out here. Okay, you never know. People do take their cell numbers with them everywhere. I'm Wallace Hughes, and we're going to feature okay. Roger next here on the Escape USA. Runs about a half hour, and uh, it's from today's date, the 23rd of September. So, let's do it. And I, I picked it mainly because it was from today's date. I, I don't know, I can't remember what it's about, but I thought it would be fun to hear. So. Yeah, and I don't think we have them all. Mm. We got a lot of them. Right. But. So, I mean, and it was wonderful because they surrounded Will Rogers Jr. with a great cast of CBS stars and, and radio actors. So, I'm trying uh, to remember who was the producer of it. I know it gives it. No, it was, no I think Norm McDonald, I think, did it. I, it may have been, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's a fun series. So. Yeah. So, we'll go back and hear it now. From uh, September 23rd, 1953. Oh, sorry about that. It Jaws lost focus, so I have to get it back again. Here we go. Now we're okay. Rogers of the Gazette, September 23rd, 53. Ladies and gentlemen, 
the editor of the Illyria Weekly Gazette, Mr. Will Rogers, Jr. Thank you. A fellow once said that you ought to keep one eye on your children and the other on the politicians. I guess that's right. But if only one eye is working and you got to make a choice, just figure that the children will probably do pretty good by themselves. Rogers of the Gazette. Offering you again tonight, transcribed, another heartwarming story of a country newspaper and its friendly editor. And starring Will Rogers, Jr. Illyria's not a boom town. A man looking for a place to make a lot of money fast wouldn't give Illyria a second glance, or even a first one to tell the truth. But Illyria's prosperous in a nice, solid kind of way. The farms around have good, rich soil, the hogs are fat, and there's chicken most every Sunday. The farmers sell in Illyria, and they like to buy there, too. Nothing spectacular, of course, but trade keeps moving along. And to make sure the farmers don't forget to come to town, once every year the merchants of Illyria have a farm sale day. It's kind of a shot in the arm. It's good for the Illyria Weekly Gazette, too, because Will and his assistant, Maggie Button, put out a special farm edition for the sale and all the merchants advertise. But it's a lot of work, that farm edition, and this year the lights are burning late at the Gazette. Special today only. Hot fudge Sunday, 25 cents. Banana cream paradise delight. By 30 cents. <gasps> Please, don't bother me now, Will. I'm figuring. Uh, what's a banana cream paradise delight? I wouldn't know, Will. I've been trying to watch my figure lately. I stay away from Nick's soda fountain. Uh, I guess it's just kind of a rich uncle to a banana split. Wish I had one now. Bet it tastes good. Lots of marshmallow and chocolate and pineapple oh, syrup. Oh, Will. What you need is another cup of coffee. You're half asleep. Well, reading proof on these ads isn't very exciting, Maggie. I'm getting cross-eyed looking at the prices. Well, then here's something to perk you up, Will. Listen to this. I just figured out what this farm edition means. First, you'll be able to meet the mortgage payment next month without borrowing money from Doc. <laughs> <laughs> sort of hate to break tradition, Maggie. And there should be enough cash handy after that so that you can buy a new suit of clothes. What's wrong with the one I got? I'm used to it. They uh. so tell me, Maggie, do any big changes come over a fellow when he becomes solvent? It's going to be kind of a new experience. Well... Sometimes men think of making homes. Sometimes if they have a girl, they... <laughs> oh, never mind, Will. You don't think like other men anyway. Aren't you nearly true? I'm tired. I want to go home. Well, there's just one more ad to come from Jasper Godwin's store. You better go out to the composing room and see how John's coming along. His temper hasn't been so good tonight. Hi, John. Yeah. Isn't oh. that press going to make it? 
Sure sounds sick. Been nursing it like a baby all night long. Black tape, bailing wire, and little Applejack for the joint. Applejack? My gosh, John, don't you think oil would be better for it? Who's been keeping this rheumatic old hunk of iron going around here, Will? Me or you? All right, Applejack. But it does seem kind of funny for a press. Nearly through? Whoever wrote this ad for Jasper Godwin must have written it with a mop. Now, I helped Jasper Godwin write that ad. What's wrong with it? Looks pretty good to me. Guess you respect the law too much, Will, because you don't respect the English language enough. All right. There she be. I'll take a proof and read it as quick as I can, John. I'd like us all to get out of here before daylight. My gosh, I'm tired. Me too, Will. Plain tuckered out. Well, this will finish us up, Maggie. And then home. I'm just plain aching for that bed of mine. Ah, let's see here now. Our new model tractors. Special on henhouse equipment. Special on commercial fertilizers. 98 cents a sack. Iodized salt box. Well, well, wake up. Huh? Oh, oh. still here at this darned office. Maggie, I was just floating away on a nice white sheet with a banana cream paradise delight beside me. Well, you're just dead tired. You've got to quit. Yeah. Right now. Well, this copy for Jasper Godwin's okay. So let's put the farm edition to bed. Well, I think I'll do the same thing for myself. You know, Maggie... Someday I'm going to buy me an island in the South Seas, and I'm going to go there and sit under a palm tree and just fish and look at the sky and swim and sail my boat through the Paradise Islands. Yep, someday I might do just that. Gosh, Doc, look at them come. Well, this is going to be the biggest farm day Elyria's ever had. Hi, Will. Hi, Mr. Peters. Ma'am. Oh, hello, Will. Those folks haven't been in town for months, Doc. Yeah, it must be something pretty darn special to bring Isaac Peters to town. The last quarter he spent here was to see Tom Mix in a movie. Oh, Isaac's a good enough fella. He grows some mighty fine pumpkins. Yeah, and tries to pay his subscription to the Gazette with them, too, I'll bet. Here, look. Some out-of-county folks over there, Will. Well, this street hasn't been so crowded since William Jennings Bryan gave a talk over on the square. Ah, power of the press, Doc. This farm edition's a pretty big thing. Mm, There's something fishy. Been any more of those oil promoters around selling leases, Will? There you one. Doc, you got to realize what a little paper like ours can mean to a community. You puff up anymore and you'll explode, Will, and I'm not going to put you back together. <laughs> what are you two doing out here in front of the office? Hello, Maggie. Hi, Maggie. You counting the house? Quite a day, eh, Maggie? <laughs> Guess it was worth all the work we did. Well, it certainly are a lot of people. Jasper Godwin's doing a land office business. Oh, well, now, that's because he ran the biggest ad in the Gazette. <laughs> well, that does it, Will. Go inside and tell John I said he should cut you down to size. I'm going to walk down to Godwin's and investigate the big attraction. 
Going in, Maggie? Well, there is another paper next week. We could start figuring out what we're going to fill it up with. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. <laughs> ah, you know, Maggie, there's nothing like a newspaper to create prosperity in a town. Casey Jones mounted to the cabin. Casey Jones orders in his hand. Casey Jones mounted to... Say, Maggie, huh? what'd the almanac predict for next week? Oh, what'd you say, Will? I was wondering about the almanac forecast. Oh, but I'll look it up later. Casey Jones orders in his hand. Casey Jones. Hey, Will. Will. What's the matter, Doc? Will, what incarnation did you print in this farm edition? <laughs> Mostly ads. Oh, there's nothing in it to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, folks are darn near right, and over at Jasper Godwin's out in back where he stores the fertile. Well, that's a pretty strange place to be having a riot in Jasper Godwin's fertilizer department. Well, you've got something to do with it, Will. Everybody's waving the gazette and yelling at the top of his lungs. Godwin's about ready to head for his tornado cellar. I sure don't understand what all the fuss is about. Could it be something about the ad, Will? You were awful sleepy the other night. Yeah, I was for a fact, but I remember reading proof on it. Now, uh, well, looks all right to me. Special on commercial fertilizer, 98 cents a sack, iodized salt blocks. Wait a minute. That's not right. It couldn't be. It shouldn't read 98 cents a sack. It should read $2.98. Oh, Will. Oh, good gosh. And they're actually riding over there at Godwin's dock? Next thing to it. Well, I guess you were right at that, Will. The press is sure mighty powerful. Like that fella Ajax. Don't rub it in, Doc. Uh, you ever been to Mexico, Will? No, I haven't. Well, it's nice and far off. It might be a good idea to go there because Jasper Godwin can be a hard man. Jasper Godwin can be a very hard man. And if I was you, Will, I'd go darn soon. Too late. Look, crossing the street. Yeah, too late. Well, I just can't be witness to this slaughter. I'll be out back with John. Tons of it. They want tons of it. At 98 cents. Will, do you know what you've done? Yeah, yeah, I made a mistake. And, well, I... Yeah, I just don't know how to tell you, Jack. I don't want I... you to tell me anything. I don't want apologies. I can't sell any gosh darned apologies. Well, uh, sometimes apologies are hard to buy, too, Jack. And I don't want any of your wise talk either. Well, my place is a madhouse. People are pouring in from all over to buy that fertilizer at 98 cents. And I don't blame them. It's one heck of a bargain. In fact, it's such a bargain that every bag I sell cost me $1 right out of my own pocket. Well, Jasper, I'm sorry. And, uh, well, I'll try and make it up to you. I'll uh, run a correction and maybe some free advertising. Advertising. After this, I don't want to even hear the word advertising again. I'm holding you responsible for this mess, Will, and you're going to have to stand good for every dollar I lose. Well, all right, Jasper, but if you keep on selling that fertilizer at 98 cents, you're going to be the sole owner of the Illyria Gazette by noon today to me like you just better call off that sale. Then lose 20 years goodwill, nothing doing. Well, uh, maybe if I went over to your store and talked to those folks and told them that the Gazette was entirely at fault, uh, maybe offer them something in place, the fertilizer. Like what? Well, all I've got's a Gazette. 
I could offer free subscriptions. Hmm. Well, that might work. But you better get on over there fast, because every bag I sell is costing you a dollar. Oh, Will, what a terrible thing. Yeah. Well, two things you can't do in this life, Maggie. Swim the Pacific Ocean underwater and run a newspaper without making some mistakes. Well, I guess I'd better go down to Godwin's and see what I can do. Will? Uh-huh? Try not to offer too many free subscriptions. You know what newsprint costs. About the same as gold, don't it? Because that's going to take an awful beating if the free list gets much longer. listening to Rogers of the Gazette, starring Mr. Will Rogers, Jr. We'll return to tonight's story in just a moment, but first, tomorrow night on CBS Radio, plan to meet Millie for Laugh After Laugh. You'll enjoy Elena Verdugo as Millie Bronson. Now also heard Thursday nights on most of these same stations is Ray Milland as Professor Ray McNutley. Tomorrow night, when you meet Mr. McNutley, you'll hear the strange saga of the blonde next door and the college dean. Meet Millie and meet Mr. McNutley Thursdays at the Star's Address. Now we continue with the second act of tonight's show. Peters, if you just give me time, I'd like to demonstrate this track. Uh, it's a pretty piece of machinery, all right, young fella. But you can't, get... you can't go wrong on it. Now, Mr. Peters, if I... Don't push me. Jasper Godwin teach you that? I want to get some of this fertilizer special before I even talk about buying a tractor. Trask, Trask, have you seen Rogers around? I heard he was in the store. No, Mr. Godwin, but Mr. Peters here, he wants... To I know, a... fertilizer. Isaac, I'll have to send to you later. I'm in a rush. Rogers! Rogers, over here! Oh, pardon me. Ma'am, I didn't mean to trample all over you. Hey, here I am, Jasper. Nice big crowd you got. It's just big. Now, look, do something. Hop on that counter over there and say your piece. I'll ring a bell or something so they'll listen to you. Come on. All right, Jasper. You know, I kind of feel like the fellow who jumped off a cliff so I didn't get run over by a truck. Will's got something to say. All right, now. Quiet. Attention. Ladies and gentlemen, attention. Attention. Uh... I know how much you appreciate a good bargain like this deal on fertilizer and Jasper Godwin's ad. Uh, but now, quiet a moment. But there's been a little mistake in the Gazette. Now, I know that most all of you have driven a good many miles to get here, and I sure wouldn't want to see you disappointed. Well, that's how it is. Free subscriptions to the Gazette for those who don't get the fertilizer. I hope they're pacified all right now. They better be. Maybe next time you'll be more careful with that paper of yours. I will. I certainly will. Hey, Will, what's the rush? Hi, Zach. How are you? Terrible. Farm sale day. You know what I've sold so far? 
One of them newfangled plastic lawn rakes and a plug for a kitchen sink. There ain't a soul inside my place. Well, it could be worse, Zach. Nobody had invented plastic. <laughs> Say, I got to get back to the office. Expecting some people. A lot of them. No, no, wait a minute, Will. Tell me, what's going on down the street there, down at Godwin's? A lot of folks are buying things. They're just fertilizer, I'll bet that darn fool. Oh, no, different things, too. Like what? Well, F. Ormsby told me he bought a hand machine. Big stuff like that, huh? Yep. Oh, uh, Zach, why don't you have a little say? Huh? It's not too late. I ain't gonna run no giveaway like that fool Jasper Garden. Uh, Jasper's building thousands of dollars in goodwill. Maybe you lose a little today, but he'll show a big profit tomorrow. Now, that's modern merchandising, Zach. Hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, if you were to put up a big sign in the window advertising that fertilizer at uh, 88 cents, I'll just bet you'd pull in a lot of customers away from God. No, no, no. I'd be losing money. Uh, maybe you'd be making money, Zach. F. Ormsby up there bought a hand machine while he was waiting around to get at the fertilizer. Don't keep talking about that hand machine, Will. I... Gives me chills and fever knowing God and put that in the cross. Well, now, here's the notion, Zach. Right. Just put out a sign advertising fertilizer at 88 cents and say, as long as it lasts. And that way you can cut off the sale whenever you please. Get the idea? Yeah. Hey, you might do that. Okay, I'll try it. Good. Oh, uh, uh, say, uh, Zach, you mind doing me a little favor? What's that? You might just casually mention to those folks who buy the fertilizer from you that uh, I won't be expecting them down at the Gazette. Wait a minute. What kind of an axe are you grinding here, Will? <laughs> Not an axe, Zach. Just a little hatchet. Uh, so you better get moving. See a lot of people down there leaving Godwin. Yeah. W what the dickens is going on in this town? Uh, people move in herds when they smell a bargain. Maybe they smell one here already, Zach. But I ain't even got my sign up yet, Will. Well, now, that is strange, isn't it? Well, what's the matter, Maggie? You and Doc look as if you had a toothache or something. No, a headache. Doc told me about your generous little speech at Godwin. Oh, that. Yeah, that. Why didn't you just let Godwin sue you? I wouldn't have been fair to him, Doc. I had to take him off the spot. Oh, bosh. Jasper Godwin's got more money than he can count on a long summer day. You just let him talk you into committing suicide. We can't give away all those free subscriptions, Will. Don't worry about it, Maggie. You seem mighty calm, Will, for a man walking the plank. How come that glint in your eye? You look like David Harum after a morning of horse trading. Maybe I just outfoxed a couple of foxes. What happened? Well, coming back from Godwin's, I passed Zach Byers' place. Zach isn't doing so good. He doesn't even qualify as a rival for Godwin's. Zach's getting too ornery to run a store. Told him years ago we ought to stop using that quack help tonic, but he wouldn't listen to me. That stuff makes him meaner than a horsefly in August. Well, Zach was so jealous of Godwin, he couldn't see straight. So I talked him into running a little fertilizer sale of his own. Well, I don't see how that helps us, Will. Folks are going to forget all about the Gazette subscriptions when they pass Byers' store and see fertilizer on sale at 88 cents. Elephants and farmers never forget when they're offered a good deal. If you got up and did a jig and promised free subscriptions to the paper, they'll be here to get them if they have to come through the eye of a tornado. Well, they won't expect to get both the fertilizer and the free subscriptions, will they, Doc? They won't. 
Just wait and see, Will. Wait and see. Well, I gotta go. It's about time Miss Plunkett was having that baby. I'll see you. Doc's wrong, Maggie, isn't he? I hope so. But you don't think so. No, Will. I'm afraid I think he's right. <sighs> well, no good in worrying about bad news till it happens. I think I'll take a run out and see how the wind's blowing. Will, are you going where I think you're going? Uh, well... Nick's soda fountain? Well, I just thought I might drop in there, Maggie, and uh, kind of, well, see how things are going for Nick. And maybe just by chance, sample a banana cream paradise delight? Well, uh, now, Maggie, oh, it's been bothering me all morning. I've just got to know what that thing's made of. Everything all right, Trask? Yes, Mr. Godwin, but I don't know how this washing machine got pushed way over here. That mob could have pushed down the Great Wall of China. What happened to everybody? The store's like a morgue. They're at Zach Byers' place now. What? Why would anybody go in that junk shop? He's having a sale on fertilizer, 88 cents. 88 cents? Mm -hmm. Why, that darn fool will bankrupt himself before the day's out. He can't do it. Mr. Godwin, I don't like to question your judgment, but did you have to stop that sale? Of course. Every bag cost me $1 right out of my own pocket. You know I sold F. Ormsby that haying machine. Yes, that was a good piece of business, Trask. Congratulations. Well, I also sold a harrow and was closing a deal on a tractor when Rogers started that speech. You lost the prospect? Oh, yes, he got away. That speech cooled him off. Why, that's awful, Trask. And, and, and look at these prospects. It's a pretty good list. Now, some of these people are brand new, names I've never heard of. And the worst part of it is I was just getting started... Frankly, I think you made a mistake. Oh, you do? Uh, well, uh, yes. Maybe I did. List is like pure gold, Trask. A haying machine, a harrow, almost a tractor. The best day we've had since I've been here. I wonder. You know, we might just lure that tractor prospect back here. Remember his name? Um, uh, uh, Isaac Peters, I think. He was a hard-bitten old coot, but I think I almost had him, Mr. Godwin. Hmm. Take over, will you, Trask? I'm going to walk over to the Gazette and have a little talk with Will. Zach Byers, when are you going to pay some attention to me? I've been squashed up against this washtub for an hour. Come in, come in, come in. You're next, Isaac. Don't be putting dents in that other tub. No, it's new. You think I like it here? Why don't you get a store with some room in it, like uh, Godwin's? This place ain't much more to share. If you just came down here to talk about Godwin's, I'm not interested now. What do you want, Isaac? What about a half ton of that 88-cent fertilizer? What? Half ton? A quarter ton, then. No. Well, is it or ain't it for sale? Well, I, I just ran out, Isaac. Uh, the sale's over. Why, you no more than got that sign up when I came in here, Zach Byers. What kind of game you running here? Well, you've been squeezed off in this corner. I, I didn't see you. Well, I'm sorry about the specials all gone. I, I've got some other stuff, though, real powerful. If you've got any melons in. Same price? Well, no, it's a little higher. I don't want it. In fact, I don't want anything from you, Zach. I'm going over to the Gazette and get my free subscription. And if that Rogers tries to give me the runaround like you and Godwin... I, I'm going to find me another town to trade in. Came in hankering after a new tractor. A new tractor? Uh, Isaac, 
Maybe for you, I can find a little more of that special. Yeah. I, Isaac, wait a minute. Yeah. Let's me and you have a little chin fest. <laughs> Hello, folks. Uh, nice to see y'all. Uh, be right with you. Well, yeah, Maggie, coming. Well, we've been swamped. Zach Byers ran out of that stuff sooner than I thought he would. All these people want subscriptions. I, I told them they had to wait for you. Well, I guess we better start writing them up, Maggie. I did promise these folks, you know. Well, it's just going to put us in an awful hole, that's all. Oh, we'll survive, Maggie, because that's getting to be a pretty tough old bird. You know what that banana cream paradise delight was? Four scoops of ice cream, one of them pistachio, with cherry syrup rolling down the well, sides, nuts covered all over with it. sometimes you can be the most it. exasperating man on earth. <laughs> I guess I am at that, Maggie, <laughs> but I don't mean to be. All right, folks, just give us your name and address, and Miss Button here will type up your free subscription. Now, if you'll all just line up, line up right over there. That's it. Rogers. Rogers, do I or don't I get that free subscription? Sure, Isaac, but you don't have to go biting my head off. Well, I've been getting the run around all over town, and I want to know what's what before I do any more waiting. It won't be long, Isaac. Mm. If I had another chair, I'd offer it to you. Well, well, I got to see... Well, if it isn't Isaac Peters. Isaac, mm. I'm sorry I missed you at the store this morning. I personally like to shake hands with all my old friends. Hello, Godwin. Well, let you and me uh, step into your printing room a minute, will you? I want to talk to you. Well, all right, Jasper, but I'm pretty busy right now. What's wrong? I'm living up to my part of the bargain. Yeah, I know, I know, Will, but I've changed my mind. I've been thinking over it, and I, I hate to see people disappointed who've driven Lord knows how far to get that fertilizer, so I'm willing to put the sale back on. Matter of principle, Will. That hand machine F. Ormsby bought wouldn't have anything to do with it, would it, Jasper? Maybe a little, but, but that's not the big thing. Zach Byers was underselling you. Doesn't seem to me like starting up the sale again would do much good. I'll meet his price. Now, look, Will, there's a lot of people here in your office. How about making the announcement right now? You work real fast, don't you, Jasper? Well, I like to get things done. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, Maggie and I here are practically giving away the whole newspaper. I'm sorry about that. Well, uh, now you're a pretty smart man, Jasper. Progressive merchant, right on your toes. You ought to recognize a good piece of promotion if you saw it. I think so. Well, then how does this sound? Free subscriptions to the Illyria Gazette, courtesy Jasper Godwin. I pay for them? Yep, that's it. And Maggie and I will write them up inside your store. Well, you're insane. Now, it's the best way I know to get folks back in your store, Jasper. They're a little sour on you right now for calling off that sale. Hmm. If I just sold one tractor, I suppose it would be worth it. All right, well, I'll do it. Good man, Jasper. Now, that's what I call shrewd merchandising. Maggie? Yes, sir. <laughs> We're going to take a little walk over to Godwin's. What in heaven's name for with all these people here? Oh, they're going with us. And, uh, Maggie, uh, well, tonight after the ruckus and all quiets down, I'd like to take you out and buy you the biggest platter of fried chicken in the country. Well, that's about the best idea you've had today. Yep, Maggie. You know, it's just like you were saying yesterday. Farm sale always means activity for the Gazette. (laughs) (laughs) 
have just heard Rogers of the Gazette, starring Mr. Will Rogers, Jr. with Georgia Ellis as Maggie Button. Tonight's story was written by James Henderson and produced and transcribed by Norman McDonald. Featured in the cast were Parley Bear, Harry Bartell, Vic Perrin, John Daner, and Joe Cranston. The special music was composed by Pierre Garagank and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Bombay is the exciting scene of the episode of The Golden Snake, tomorrow night's adventure for Milena Dietrich as mystery woman Diane LaVolta on Time for Love. Thrill to the romance and strange adventure of Time for Love tomorrow and every Thursday night on most of these same CBS radio stations. Bob Lamont speaking. And remember, listen while you work. Enjoy Road of Life every Monday through Friday in the daytime on the CBS radio network. September 23rd, 1953, Rogers of the Gazette. And I, Larry was talking about Time for Love. I, I don't think I've heard that show. We have we about have three or four of them. I've never heard that. I've never that. heard that. Yeah, I, should, yeah, I, should this particular episode. I really love the series. I've never heard this one, so this must have come up before I ever found it. Fairly new. Well, it's never within yeah. the box. I mean, we, have, I, we don't know that we've got them all, but we have everything that's been out for a while. I had about 18 to 23 of them. A couple were the rehearsals. And if you look at the cast credit, uh, Joe Cranston? Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with that name. He passed away before or or wasn't around when we first started mm. in radio collecting. I know people talked about him, but we never met him. Okay. I think I did and there were a few other made-up names, I think, there. I think I uh, did the last... Help do the last interview for Harry Bartell. Cause he was living up in Oregon, wasn't he? In the yep. tail end. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Of course, you knew you got, both. You what took classes under Vic Perrin, right? No, I did. Larry did. John did. Larry did. Okay. We we visited Harry and Bev several times um, in Oregon. Speech on. And how come you got speech on? I forgot to turn that pot down. Oh, um, and Vic, yeah, Vic was uh, did voiceover teaching, and uh, I was in one of his classes. Yeah, you're right. I'd forgotten about that. With Georgia Ellis Shy, I mean, you never got her at a Spurvac meeting, right? We talked to her on the phone, but never got her to come. She was very shy, and didn't think she had really much to offer. Mm. And. Um, I don't know. Did anybody ever talk to her? Dunning. Dunning. 
No, that's right? true. Yeah. That's true. He did. But Parley was with her. Right. Or they were actually on the phone together. Phones together. Mm-hmm. Right. You're right. John did talk to her. Norm MacDonald died very young, if you think about it. I think he was gone by 79, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never had a chance to talk with him either, I don't think. No. He was part of that, what, that gun smoke special that, um, Whammy put together back in the... Uh, oh, yeah. Days, right? Yes, he was. Yeah. Quite a, He had quite a lot to do with it. John Hickman produced and narrated. And uh, it was one of the best Gunsmoke things I've heard mm. ever done. Just incredibly well done. Paul Free told a story to Dunning about um, Norm MacDonald. I guess they were in the same military platoon or the same unit together in the service. Mm. And, uh, and I think... McDonald helped give uh, Paul a big break, you know, when they when he was trying to get the door knocked down for uh, acting and radio after the war. Yeah, I I do remember him telling that story. Well, time for love. You 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 want to see if you can find one, John? We might. Well, yeah, I think John, I gave it to you. Up. Did you? I'm did waiting you? for it to open up. My okay. my files. Um, Hopefully I'll get this fixed soon. It may take about two minutes or three minutes to open up. So I'm waiting for it to open up so I can get it queued up and then we'll play it. I think the last time this happened to both of us, there was a folder. There was something in the folder that was corrupted and we figured out how to get rid of all of the Winamp folders. And that took care of it. But I don't know why we can't get rid of it this time. You know, Maybe we're missing a folder. Who knows? How long does it take? A couple minutes. Wow. And once it gets going, it's, it's quite fine, you know? Did yeah, yeah the big forever. test will be tomorrow sometime when we get back from church or whenever, mm-hmm. when he plays again. I wonder if it's because there are few pe- fewer people on the Internet, so fewer people taking a bandwidth on that's Skype. What, that's what I was wondering. But you would think on a Saturday night that would that would not be necessarily the case, but maybe. Yeah. Maybe so. The sound you? is still so-so. I believe Skype originally from London or England and was set up to be transferred from computer to computer to computer. So, so if they cut down the bandwidth every time more computers be added, that would explain why they're having so much issues. They just never bought more bandwidth. Yeah. Well, at least you can play for now, but the sound isn't any better than it's been, which is too bad. Sandwich will be an interesting tug of war over the next several years because of, uh, oh gosh, um, the on-demand video service. Mm-hmm. Um, Netflix. I think I've heard a story a few years ago that they're almost taking one-third of the bandwidth available. Oh, yeah, because video takes up a lot more bandwidth than audio. A lot more. Okay, we are ready. Right now, everybody everybody surely has equal access to bandwidth, but, you know, there's a lot of people worried that might not, you know, 
the little boys might be knocked out of it. So we'll keep mm-hmm. So we have a show. Okay. I think it's March 26th of 53. I've never heard this show before, so. It's okay. About it's a half right. hour long. Okay. So Yeah. Here it is for the first time probably ever on Yesterday USA. Time for love. When you are near the breezes sigh Time for love Time for love The stars write words across the sky Time for love in Rio. Marlena Dietrich stars in Time for Love, transcribed on CBS Radio. Every week at this time, enjoy exciting romantic adventure at the star's address when it's time for... Is it dumped? Is that right? Yeah. The song came over fine. 
All right, we thought it might at one point. So. Yeah, Larry said that means one other person started listening. So, <laughs> shoot. Okay, well, I can send this to you, but it might take a while. Walden. That's okay. I'll get play another show then. Why? So why do I? Okay. Why do I play a song by Tanaka? Show and then I can play that afterwards, John. Boy, so we can make a phone call. If anybody's awake? Yeah. One four. Five four five two zero oh, seven one. Ed Clute will be with us tomorrow. So, think of a request for Ed for uh, getting close. You know, the holidays will be here before you know it. John Larry are probably in rehearsal for Christmas by now. You know, they they get after after the competition in October. They'll be getting ready for Christmas for both those guys for the barbershop event. Have you guys picked out a theater in, uh, in December? I, I don't know what it is. I haven't seen the script yet, so. Oh, oh, oh the location, yeah. It's yeah. the Curtis Theater in Brea. Okay. So, just now starting to sing through songs and don't even know uh, what quartet songs we're singing yet, but we'll find out shortly. And, and be, be on the lookout for the Dropbox. I sent it to you. Okay. And so, and so what about Disney? Have you started rehearsal? Is it, are the auditions done by now, John? Do you know? Yeah, the, the, the first rehearsal was Thursday. And it was packed, you know, a couple hundred people in that one. And we had, there's three or four hundred people all together between the studio and the, and the resort. So we had, must have had about 250 people in there. So it was packed. What did they do? Did they work on some songs, or what, what was the first rehearsal like? Yeah, we, and we pretty much sing the same songs every year. So okay. we, you know, we sang through pretty much everything, and they gave a lot of information out, especially to those new people who had not been with us before, about what it was all about. And it's a pretty demanding schedule because you got to be there just about every week. What what what, what songs do you guys normally sing during the holidays, during Christmas time, for Disney? Well, the ones that people remember are Silent Night, First Noel, We Three Kings. Uh, and there are others, too. But, I mean, it's all inter interlaced with the, the Christmas story as narrated by usually a, a TV individual or somebody from movies okay. that Disney brings in. Or or maybe it's somebody, you know, from Disney himself who's, you know, made... Uh, Do you have a favorite person that really did a great job as a narrator over the years? Um, well, I mean, they've had a lot of people. They've had John Wayne, John Stamos came a few years ago. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, he did uh, Darth Darth Vader, and he was uh, oh yeah 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 Verizon the commercial. Uh, James um, can't think of I can't think. Yeah, really good. And a lot of people have been very good. I mean, uh, 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 Marie Osmond has done it a couple of times. Um, I have a whole list of those who have done it for for the Disneyland candlelight over the years. You ever heard the, they, have you ever heard a recording with John Wayne doing it? No, I've never heard any of the past recordings. I don't know if they all – I hope they exist, but I don't know for sure. But this would have been back in the 70s or 80s when he did it. 
you have to go back until the park opened? Or when did they, you know, when they it, it technically goes back to 1958 when it was the actual candlelight with the, the, the cast choir singing in on Main Street up in the trees. They did something similar to it when the park first opened. And it was really put together to thank all of the people who were the various partners for Walt Disney along the way. It's a way of saying thank you. So they got all the uh, the, the major seats in, at the train station there on Main Street. And the show was done specifically so they could could watch it and, and enjoy it. And, of course, throughout the, the time that that has occurred, uh, those people in the park were able to come and watch it too. I mean, now it's, I mean, people are just gathered all over. It's like a fireworks show. I mean, you got to get there three, four hours ahead of time to get a decent seat. It's amazing. Like all the parades at Disney that I attended always have a line. I mean, you, if you want to see the parade and it doesn't matter which one, you sort of stake out your territory almost an hour in advance, probably more, more, than, more, more than, now. Yeah. More now. Yeah. It's amazing. We know when, when you got a good product, people are going to come watch it. Yeah. I remember the electrical parade in the mid-70s. That was such a big marketing deal. For the, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, that just finished here August 20th mm. again. So they'll put it away, and, you know, maybe they'll bring it back one of these years. Who knows? That uh, Time for Love might be in your Dropbox already. I don't know. And if you want to, you can speed past a lot of the music, or you can just play from the beginning again. Chesterfield Supper Club 490201 
Scepter in Rio. Marlena Dietrich stars in Time for Love, transcribed on CBS Radio. Every week at this time, enjoy exciting romantic adventure at the star's address when it's time for love. Victor in einem Hotel in Rio. Er resümiert sein Leben. Seit Jahren ist er seiner Geliebten, der berühmten Nachtclubsängerin Diane LaVolta, um den halben Erdball gefolgt. Aber nun ist Schluss damit. The name is Mike Victor. I'm overpaying for an air-conditioned cabana overlooking the bay in Rio de Janeiro. What am I doing in Rio? Same thing I did in Lisbon, Singapore, Vienna. Running after a woman, I should be running away from. It ought to be as easy as hanging up this phone. But when you stand waiting for hours on a windswept pier, walk miles through a driving rain, and every time because of the same woman, you don't do things the easy way. So this time I'm in Rio, and this time it's going to be different. No pressure, no problems. If she doesn't answer the phone, er legt auf und kann doch an nichts anderes denken als an Diane. Er Michael tröstet sich mit einem Drink an der Bar. Do I look like that, Sam? Big pardon, Senor. I've seen these same faces in every bar in the world. Well, it is a small world, senor. Well, that takes care of the lie that all bartenders are born philosophers. Another brandy, senor. Have one on me. The stool taken? Help yourself. Do I know you? No. Well, why the drink? My name is Philip Caravel. Well, mine is... Mike Victor. Well, now, don't tell me you've read my books. Your drink, senor. Thank you. Your health, Mr. Victor. Thanks. You, uh, from the local chamber of commerce? A book of the month? <laughs> Nothing like that. Ein Mann namens Philip Carowell setzt sich zu Michael und stellt ihm sehr direkte Fragen über sein Verhältnis zu Diane. I noticed your name in the recent arrivals from the States. It mentioned that you were engaged to Diane LaVolta. No, to coin a cliche, the report was grossly exaggerated. And you don't intend to marry her? Well, I don't think that even in South America, one free drink entitles you to my life history. But if it makes you any happier... I intend to marry her as soon as possible. Michael antwortet widerwillig. Etwas ist seltsam an dem Mann. Your health, sir. The uh, proper salutation is good luck. Your health. Der gleiche Mann nähert sich am Abend Diane, als sie im Meer badet. What are you trying to do? You were drowning. I was? I distinctly heard you holler for help. Now, just relax and I'll get you to the raft. <laughs> I'm sure if you try, you could have thought of a more novel approach. Well, there aren't many when the lady's swimming 200 yards offshore. That's true. The raft? All right, we race. Sie schwimmen zurück ans Ufer. A few more yards... 
You can make it. <laughs> oh, now I understand why you didn't need any help. I never call for help, Mr. Uh, Caravel, Philip Caravel. Miss We've Lavolta. met? Let's say that I'm admirer of yours. In this moonlight, it's a little difficult to... Caraval gibt sich als großer Verehrer von Diane zu erkennen und gesteht ihr gerade heraus, dass er vorhat, sie zu heiraten. Past three nights in the club, the ringside table for one. That's right. The flowers with no card. Yes. And the champagne in my hotel room. Yes. It's all very flattering, but why? Because I'm in love with you and intend to marry you. <laughs> you do? Yes. You might have a little competition. I met Mike Victor this afternoon. Do you intend to marry him? You're quite thorough, Mr. Carvel. You didn't answer my question. <laughs> I never answer questions. Then I shall have to take that as meaning yes, which means that I'll have to hurry my plan. I'm sorry to have put you out, Mr. Carvel, but, uh, Carvel, I've heard that name. The name Carvel erinnert Diane an etwas. Ist er der Carvel, der diese sehr reiche Frau geheiratet hat? Are you the Carvel that's married to a fortune? I am a very dull, uninspired young lady. <laughs> I find that most women get their inspiration from their men. Nothing could possibly inspire the woman I'm married to. I hate that woman as much as I love you. And I, Mr. Carroll, make it a point to avoid two things. The taking of advice and the taking of another woman's husband. Carroll besteht darauf. Er will Diane heiraten. I intend to marry you. <laughs> Just when do you intend to do that? <laughs> As soon as I kill my wife. Sobald er seine Frau umgebracht hat. Indians Garderobe. Come in. Oh, it's you. Is that the proper way to greet your future husband? I left word that you weren't to be allowed backstage. The owner of the club is a friend of mine. May I sit down? Yes. Another friend of mine owns a yacht. He's offered it to me. Tomorrow afternoon, we'll sail around the coastline. You seem to have a lot of friends. You won't mind if I don't join the list. Wieder macht Carowell Dian eindeutige Anträge. We'll have dinner at a small village. Shrimp the size of your hand. Saturday night, we'll drive up Sugarloaf. I've ordered a quarter moon. Do you think you'll get it? Always have. <laughs> Your conceit is amazing. And interesting? It might be, if you... Oh, were. don't worry about dear old Jane. Und wieder spricht er davon, seine Frau umzubringen. She'll be dead and out of the way very shortly. Of course, you're not serious about killing your wife. Not serious. Did you ever try to plan a perfect crime? <laughs> no, not lately. A thousand and one nights I've lain awake working it out. Of course, I admit that's one of the few pleasures I've had since I've been married to that boy. Why but did you marry her? Beautiful Golden Diane. In less than two weeks, my dull wife inherits five million pounds, which in American money is close to twelve million dollars. Oh, I see. Purely the money motive. Until I met you. But now I have another reason. No, Mr. Carroll, you have not. Diane droht alles seiner Frau zu erzählen. And if I were really to believe this nonsense you're telling me, I tell my wife, of course. Most certainly. Go ahead. A challenge. Was Carowell nicht sonderlich zu beeindrucken scheint. It won't do you any good because my wife thinks I'm the most fascinating man in the world. 
Michael. Hello. Come in. Thanks. Help yourself to the scotch. I ordered it for you. Thanks. Don't sulk, Michael. I don't like it when you sulk. Too bad. Michael is sour. Anstatt ihn zu heiraten, treibt sich Diane mit einem verheirateten Mann herum. Oh dear, when I want you to ask questions, you never do. Oh Diane, you're the most amazing woman in the world. Now you want me to ask questions? Certainly. Who in thunder is Philip Caravel? A man who loves me. Well, he's married, Dion. He's going to kill his wife. Oh, well, that's the... He's what? Dion erzählt Michael von Caravels Mordplänen. Michael, what will I do? Oh, you go to the police. What do I tell them? That this highly respected Mr. Caravel is going to kill his wife? I still say go to the police. And Michael rät ihr zur Polizei zu gehen. Michael, this man fascinates me. Yes, and I'm just the fellow to tell it to. No, you don't think he's serious, do you? I mean about murdering his wife. Well, why don't you let the police find out about that? I'd make a terrible fool of myself if he wasn't. Will you forget him and marry me? Yes, yes, I must meet his wife, as if by accident. But how? How to meet her and gain her confidence? Oh, we'll make a handsome couple, Diane. People will point to us when we walk into a room. Ah, but of course. Diane hat einen anderen Plan. Sie will Jane Carrowell persönlich sprechen, aber es muss alles ganz zufällig aussehen. Michael, do you like my hair this way? Oh, it's perfect for a wedding. I must make an appointment at the beauty parlor. To um, meet Mrs. Philip Carrowell? Of course. Dion, there must be 500 beauty parlors in this city. I know, but only one where 12 million dollars has her hair done. Dion arrangiert ein zufälliges Zusammentreffen in einem Kosmetiksalon. I'll be ready for the manicure in a moment. Just let me get my dress off. Oh, excuse me. It's quite all right. Come in. Well, I'm... I'm not the manicurist. I'm Mrs. Philip Carroll. I usually have this boot. Oh, Mademoiselle La Volta. Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. Really, I, I mean to intrude this way. I There's only one Albert, and if you had a previous appointment, I'd gladly slip my dress back on. No, no, I wouldn't dream of it. You go right ahead. Oh, my husband has told me so much about you, I feel almost as if I knew you. Your husband has spoken of me? Oh, constantly. And that doesn't bother you? I know it isn't very flattering, but you just don't know, Phil. Sort of schoolgirlish, but... That has been the swan song of many a dying dove. Never a birthday, anniversary, holiday. I awaken to my favorite flower and go to sleep with my favorite perfume in the air. Oh, I'm sure I don't know why he loves me, Miss LaVolta. Dion. Dion. I love him so much that it's embarrassing even to think about... Oh, why do I talk about Philip when... I, I know it's presumptuous, but if we could have a cocktail sometime, my friends would be green with envy. As a matter of fact, my entire afternoon is free. Jane möchte Diane gerne näher kennenlernen, doch heute muss sie zum Arzt. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'd love to this afternoon, but I have an appointment with my doctor. My husband insists that I have a checkup every three months. You look perfectly healthy. I am. I only go because it makes Philip feel better. Then perhaps some other time. Tomorrow? Oh, that's fine. At four at the Place Royale? Mm -hmm, that's fine. Oh, good. Sie verabreden sich für den nächsten Tag um vier zum Cocktail. I, I've wanted to meet you for some time. Once when you were singing in Rome, I almost met you. Oh, 
Imagine I travel half the world and finally meet you in my own hometown and in a beauty parlor of all places. <laughs> of all places. <laughs> Michael macht Jan eine Szene. Nie hat sie Zeit für ihn. Are you going to spend the entire night lying in front of my door? Well, I figured you had to come home sometime. Get up, Michael. Oh, that's a very hard floor. I'm tired, Michael. Please go back to your hotel. If I go, Dion, I don't come back. What do you mean? Just what I said. Please come in. Michael, I don't like ultimatums. We had a date at three this afternoon. I was at the hairdresser's. We had a date after the late show. I'm sorry. Yes, that's what the doorman told me. Mr. Victor, he said Miss Lavolta regrets, but she must walk. I had a lot of thinking to well, do. Well, we could have walked together. I told you I'm tired, Michael. Me too, Dion. I am tired of slipping notes under your door, phone calls that aren't answered. Oh, right on time. Und da kommt auch noch ein Telefonanruf von Carowell. Every 15 minutes for the past three hours. Dion, if you answer that phone... The next time you answer it, I won't be honest. I'm sorry, Michael. I must. It's important. Hello? Michael! This is Philip Caravel. I know. My wife told me that you met this afternoon. Yes, and she's charming. You forgot to tell her I was going to kill her. No. Die Aussicht, dass Dian morgen alles seiner Frau erzählen will, beirrt Carowell nicht im Geringsten. I am going to tell her, Philip. Perhaps after you tell her, we can have dinner. There's a picturesque little restaurant. Is this all part of some plan of yours, Philip? No. But I do want to find out how much fire my future wife has. Enough, Philip. Enough to burn you. In the cocktail bar. My dear Jane, as much as it grieves me, I must leave. Doctor, you're going to sit here until Miss LaVolta arrives. <sighs> For a young lady I brought into the world, you're very dictatorial. Oh, there she is now. Miss LaVolta. Good afternoon, Jane. I'm sorry I'm late. Just a few moments. Dion, I want you to meet Dr. Sand. Jane stellt Dion den Doktor vor, der vor Jahren schon ihren Vater behandelte, bis der an Krebs starb. How do you do, Doctor? Miss LaVolta, a pleasure. No patient can condemn me for being late when I tell him the reason. <laughs> Doctor, you must make it a pleasure to be ill. <laughs> if ever, Miss LaVolta, you need my services, day or night, I'm your servant. Thank you. But now, unfortunately, I'm someone else's servant. Good day, ladies. The doctor's a picture of old-world charm, something I'd begun to think had died. He's been our family doctor for years. You see, he treated my father. I... Uh, I lost my father four years ago. He died of a malignant disease. I'm sorry. The doctor did everything he could, but those last three months... Wegen der Erkrankung ihres Vaters ist ihr Mann auch so um James' Gesundheit besorgt. You see, that's why Philip is so solicitous of my health. He wants to reassure me that nothing like that will happen to me. Jane, I have something to say. It's something I'm afraid you won't like to hear. He sounds so serious. Dian versucht Jane die Wahrheit über ihren Mann zu sagen. Your husband and I... I mean, we met one night, and since then... Oh, I'm afraid I'm making a jumble of what I have to say. Why? It can't be that important. I'm trying to find the proper words. The ones I'm using seem to have too sharp an edge. 
I don't understand. I like you, Jane. Go ahead. Your husband is a very charming man. He even fascinating. I believe I'm beginning to understand. I know how much you love him, but believe me, love can blanket truth. You're in love with him. Your husband is going to kill you. Doch ihr Vorhaben misslingt gründlich. Jane glaubt, Diane will ihr ihren Mann wegnehmen. He's what? As soon as you come into your full inheritance, he's going to kill you. <laughs> I gave you credit for more subtlety than that. Your husband means nothing to I me. I tried not to believe the stories I'd heard about Diane Lavolta, but it seems they're true. I told you it would be difficult to understand. Miss Lavolta, no man is supposed to be safe within reach of your claws. Well, you'll find that my husband is different. How can I make you understand? You can't have him. But my interest in your husband is... He's about to end. I'll do anything to keep him. Stay away from me, Miss Lavolta. And my husband. Empört verlässt sie den Raum. Love, my philosopher friend, is not only blind. It is equally deaf and dumb. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Carvel, I didn't think you would come to the club tonight. Why not? I told your wife. I know. This evening at dinner, she retold the entire affair. Really, Diane, she was most upset. With you, that is. However, as a token for your efforts, I brought this. Oh, <laughs> beautiful. A trinket compared to what I'll buy for you. Carvel hält ein Schmuckstück für Diane bereit. The ruby itself is a gem to be envied. But when set off by the diamond... No, thank you. Take it. Keep it. It's yours. However, I'm sorry that you won't be able to wear it until tomorrow. Take it back. You see, I can't pay for it until then. My wife doesn't come into her inheritance until midnight tonight. I believe you're the cruelest man I've ever met. How can you say that? Why, even now I'm halfway home to help my wife celebrate at a midnight supper for two at our little love nest. Could anything be more touching? Ansonsten läuft alles nach Plan. Heute Nacht noch wird er seine Frau umbringen. It never struck me as quite fair to kiss a woman's lips so that you could steal from her purse. You wrong me, Diane. Tomorrow it'll be my money. Because tonight she dies. bittet Michael um Hilfe. Who is it? Jan. Dion who? Michael, this is no time for jokes. I told you I was finished, Dion. I meant it. Open the door. I meant it. He's going to kill her tonight. Oh, let's start with an introduction. Hmm? Uh, my name is Mike Victor, the ex-sucker. Have it your way, Michael. Only I need your help. We'll keep it impersonal. All right, long as it's impersonal. Well, then let's go to a police station. But it won't do any good. They'll never believe me. Well, just let me do the talking, Dion. Sie gehen zusammen zur Polizei. A little too much to drink, senor. Look, how many times do I have to tell you a guy is going to commit murder? Philip Caravel murder his wife? <laughs> Ridiculous. Unfortunately, it is true. Senorita, I would believe you in a minute if I did not know you were trying to 
Doch die Polizei nimmt ihre Anschuldigungen nicht ernst. Diane ist entschlossen. Dann werden sie beide eben zum Haus der Carolwells gehen. He's got to drive to the Caravels. Dion makes sense. It's the middle of the night. We just can't break True, in. True, but I know someone who can. But it's only midnight. Then, Michael, time may have run out. Im Haus der Caravels bei Mitternachtssuppe. Is everything all right, Jane? Just perfect, Philip. You happy? Oh, yes. Only you haven't touched a thing. This wonderful dinner and you have... I'm... I'm sorry, dear. I... I guess I wasn't hungry. No, it's more than that. Philip, is it the money? Oh, of course not, darling. You knew that someday it would be mine. Oh, we talked the whole thing out long ago. More jubilee? Then I did something. I said something. No, that... Jane, not you. Never you. Well, then, darling, what is it? Jane, darling, you're worrying over nothing. Absolutely nothing. Carol's Andeutungen beunruhigen Jane. Philip, I just know something is wrong. I can feel it. Nothing. The money. We agreed that it was ours. We'd share it together. Together, dear. Always and everything together. We must live every moment. Tonight, now, we'll drive to the city. There's a night plane for Algiers. Or Africa. You'll love Africa. We have much time. We should live while we have the chance. Time? What do you mean, Philip? Uh, nothing, dear. It's just that... Well, there's so much to see in the world. You're lying to me, Philip, for the first time. Oh, darling, I couldn't live knowing that you were holding something back from me. It's not important. Philip, if you love me. Schließlich rückt er mit der Sprache raus. Er hat heute mit dem Doktor gesprochen. I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't, but... I saw Dr. Sanders this evening. That's why I went out after dinner. We had a long talk. About you. But Jane! Jane! What are you doing? Where is it, Philip? Where is it? What, dear? The gun. Now, darling, let's talk this over sensibly. Where is it? No, Where is no. It? Put the gun down. I'm not going through what my father went through. I bought that gun to protect you. No, I need protection. Uh, all right, Jane. Sie wird an der gleichen Krankheit sterben wie ihr Vater. The doctor said you have the same ailment as your father. But if you die, Jane, then there's nothing left for me. Oh, I have the courage to face suffering. Nor have I the courage to face life without you. Remember, Jane, together. No, no, I can't let you. Together. Lieber will Jane ihrem Leben jetzt gleich freiwillig ein Ende setzen, als so zu leiden. Und Carol will mit ihr sterben. The only way, isn't it, Philip? Yes. Only we mustn't let some innocent person suffer. We must write a note. A note? Here. Here's pen and paper. Sit down. I'll tell you what to write. Oh, I'm so sorry, Philip. Vorher aber muss Jane noch einen Abschiedsbrief schreiben. I'm so sorry I brought you to this. Oh, don't talk. Hurry, Jane. Stand to the shot. If you don't have time, they might blame you. I'll send them away. 
Jan, Michael und der Doktor stehen vor der Tür. Good evening. What do you want? An invitation to come in. And I owe you a drink, Mr. Carabell. We just happened to be in the neighborhood, so I thought perhaps... Good evening, Philip. Dr. Sanders, what are you doing here? I'm sure I don't know. Mr. Volter got me out of bed with a fantastic tale about your intention to... Jane. Hello, Doctor. Michael, she has a gun. Yes, I see it. Get it. I could get killed paying attention to you, but these things go off, Mrs. Caravel. Jane, what's wrong? Jane beklagte Unglück. Oh, people, you should know. You're my doctor, my friend. Oh, Dr. Sanders, how could you stand to see me suffer? Suffer? Young lady, will you please make sense? You needn't hide it. Philip told me that you two were together this evening. I know I'm going to die. Die? I underestimated you, Philip. And are you? No, I'm going to die. I just don't want to suffer. Doch die Aussage des Doktors bringt schnell die Wahrheit zutage. Weder ist Jane krank, noch hat Carowell mit ihm gesprochen. I do wish you amateurs would stop meddling in medicine. Besides, I haven't seen Philip for over two weeks. He lied. Alles war nur ein teuflisches Komplott. I don't know why, but he lied. I know. Philip wouldn't lie. We were going to do it together. First me and then... And, and then... Philip, where are you going? He won't be able to stand the look on your face, Jane. No, not because of that. Mike Victor's slight veneer of civilization is beginning to wear off. This wasn't the perfect crime, Philip. But it was the ultimate crime. Gone. Are we going to let him leave like that? I'll take care of him. You can be certain of that. He tried to kill me. Jane kann es nicht glauben. I just can't believe it. I can't. I love Sie hat Carol so geliebt. Come along, Jane. I'll give you something to put you to sleep. Michael. What? Do you see what love can do to a woman? Michael ist immer noch sauer. Dian möchte ihn wenigstens bis zur Tür begleiten. Thanks for the ride home, Dian. Good night. I like to end things properly. I'll walk with you to the door. Unless you object. All right. Walk with me to the door. But I'm still finished. Oh, cool. Cool. Starting to rain. So? Mine is an open car. Well, um, until it stops, come in. Nun, und solange es regnet, kann sie noch mit reinkommen. Hmm, nice place you've got. Little dark, though. Vielleicht auch noch ein bisschen länger. Shall I turn on the light? Why? That, Michael, is the first sensible question you've asked. Well, I think that's the end. I th my memory is that somebody gave these to Barbara. I had a few of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm trying to remember who gave them to her. But apparently, this was a series that was broadcast, I think, for two or three years. 
um, in America. Yeah. And then and yeah. huh? I've heard promotion for it. Yeah. Yeah. From it New was, York. It was first called Cafe Istanbul. Right. And she took the series to CBS and changed it to Time for Love in 1953. But the earlier series was in 52. Right. According but to Dunning's book. This show and others were also broadcast in Germany. So what they would do is they'd just broadcast the show and add little, small little German vignettes. It's as if they were doing GPS or, or DBS, described video service, for blind people 30 years earlier. Because so, the voice, the, 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 I don't know, the, the bartender. The German voice was in German, and he was from Germany, and he would describe quickly what what was going on with the dialogue and everything else for the German people who couldn't speak English. And you, you Oh no no! This was he was this was done years yeah. after the show aired ah. in America, okay. and so they would stop the tape from time to time so he could get the dialogue in. Ah. Then they would then they would they would play again. Okay, okay. Yeah, boy, that's a boy. This is so distracting. I was trying to figure. It's out. yeah, sure. And I don't remember if the other shows are like this. I think maybe that this might be the only example of the show when it was broadcast in Germany that we what? had. There might be we've one got one. about five of them. Yeah, we do. But I didn't so, look at the other ones. So I'm wondering the song that we heard at the beginning. Might have been from the German. Can, can you right. Heard the CBS signal. Now that's what, what you explained to me. Makes sense now. Why? Why would we hear the song then? This introduction. I, yeah, I don't Bing. think the American people ever heard that song. I think it was done just for the German people listening. Uh, and we don't know a lot more about the show. There's well, very. It was, it was done from New York for sure mm-hmm. because yeah. Keen Crockett did the sound effects for the previous series. So I think it was all a New York-based show. And there were definitely New York actors yeah. playing parts. Well, you know, it wasn't a lot, wasn't I don't think it was much of a show, frankly. Well, what do you guys think? It was all right. I mean, but it was, you know, it, it, I'd never heard it before, so it was, it was fun. There might have been better examples. We'll have to play a few more. You know what? Could, could this qualify maybe for one of Virginia, for one of Chris's awful shows? I think it could. I think we should put it in a box. Um, <laughs> All of them. She's probably hoping that she never gets her power back, so yeah. she doesn't have to listen to it. You know, Marlene Dietrich played that character, you know, the entertainer, because that's sort of what she was in the description mm-hmm. in other series. Like, uh, oh, I've always, I've always liked this. Foreign Affair, the screen director version mm-hmm. of that with Billy Wilder's movie, and that was a fun portrayal of who doing that. So, I don't know. I, I think you're right. I don't think this thing would have gone very... I don't... I don't know how many more storylines could they have created out of this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking while, when we were here in the beginning of this, of the Charles Boyer show. Um, Presenting Charles yeah, Boyer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember you guys played one in the early eighties on the air. And we have probably forty or fifty of them now. I don't know if I've really ever sat down and listened to an entire one completely. At least I don't remember. They're, they're okay. They're kind of cute. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Was they're it, okay. Was it that kind of storyline? I mean, was it? Was it was always better than what we just heard. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Viola Vaughn was in most of them. Mm-hmm. 
and Don Stanley was the announcer. Who was an honorary Spruvac member. Mm -hmm. So was Viola Vaughn. But Charles Boyer was not. No. Nope. No, you know, he loved his wife so much, he committed suicide the next day when she passed away. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Was his wife a show business personage? I, I think so, but it's no, no, my, they were totally, it was pretty legendary, they were totally in love, and he, he could just not bear the thought of going without her. Oh, my. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. By the way, on another subject, when you when you saw Anita Gordon's webpage or whatever you saw, when mm-hmm. it, 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 did, were there any was there anybody that's left behind from their marriage, Candy Candido's marriage, that we could talk to about them? It was, uh, it was related to a, a Disney fan club site or something. Well, maybe we ought to talk to that person from Disney to see if they can help us. Yeah, okay, it was nineteen fifteen. Candy mentioned that they had kids. I just can't remember. Yeah. And this Candy Candido comes up Monday, right? Yes. Yeah. I think. Hunt. Or is Candy up now? And this is the Spurtback Present show that we do on Yesterday USA, for those who might be wondering. Is Candy up now? Or is Candy coming up? I think Candy's coming up this Monday. Sure, the Marsha Hunter falls with her birthday period, time period. So that's why I think Candy comes now. Okay, we're not quite, you know, we're not too often. Well, Marsha Hunt would be coming up on the 9th, is that correct? Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. Okay, so Candy, yeah, Candy's coming up Monday. That one show's already done mm-hmm. and uh, uploaded, and so Kim has it. Okay, you know, it'd be great to find a, a, a son or daughter of the Candidos. I'm going to fade away, so. Appearances with Candy, but none with Anita Gordon. Because I, boy, if I knew about that, I had completely forgotten it. I never, the way he told the story, I never knew she was even in show business. His wife? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was a singer on the Charlie McCarthy show. I know. No, 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 no. But he he never mentioned she was in show business. Oh, okay. Is what Walden meant. Yeah. Yeah. Never. I'm going to fade away, so name. talk to you guys later on. What's that? I said, I'm going to I'm gonna go because i got to get up fairly early tomorrow. So, What time? 6.30. Okay. So. Okay. See ya. See you tomorrow. See ya. Is he going to disappear? When he first... Yep, there he goes. <laughs> I may go here, too. Okay. What are you going to play? of Sinatra, for example. I was thinking oh, about there you that. go. There's a lot of those now. Yeah, uh, I remember for the longest time there was only three or so. And then it got up to about 40 or so. And then I don't know, there's probably more than that. Um, so Did he have any? Uh, the, the family, they, no, what they had were the uh, Vins vitamin shells. Which are hard, there's very few of those in circulation. I know. So you didn't get a chance to copy another? No, no, uh, no. Because hmm. I'm I tracked him down in, in Long Beach. Oh, that's right. You and, told me that yeah. story. Yeah. So I imagine it's the office. So there, 
But again, you know, the money for the Sinatra family is everything after the 40s, basically. So yeah. I don't know if yeah. they'll ever be done. Mm-hmm. Um, which is too bad. It is. It is. Those shows would be fun to hear. It would be. It would be. Because uh, remember, there was a lot of promo, promos for those Tailian and Lux in 44 for Vim. Mm-hmm. I guess Vim might have been a... I don't know if Lee Brothers own Vims. I'm not too sure why they promoted them. I don't know. Yeah. So next week, what was I talking about last night? I said, oh, we got to put that show together. And now I can't remember what it was. Well, we talked about the browsers for sure. That's one thing we need Yeah, to that was one. Uh, but that was going to take a little while because we... You were thinking about doing the Louis Harrison uh, date Right, but there was another... Was that the show that I said we ought to do? And then oh. play shows. Maybe so. Yeah, that was the show you were thinking about doing for next Saturday. Okay. So. Okay. If Patricia's not back, and I would, mm-hmm. don't know, but I wouldn't think she might be, but we'd be back no. that soon. I wouldn't think so. No. So, anyway, then, uh, Friday's my mom's birthday. It's also in the bracket playing football on Friday, so. Wow, that's unusual. Yeah, we're visiting people in the afternoon that we haven't seen in a while, so it'll be a busy day. So, who knows? If, if Zoom if Zoom up and running, hopefully it will be. We don't have a live guest plan yet. So, I thought about if maybe looking for shows on my mom's birthday, 92939. So, that's mm-hmm. a thought. So, and then we that's got, a possibility. Like we got Eric Tracy on the Sunday. It might be hard, though, because I guess looking at this, my mom was born on a Friday, but we're really, in some cases, we don't have a lot of the old radio shows on a Friday. No. Especially Friday nights. We don't. Very few. We'll just lie about her birthday. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Yeah. We'll see. In the meantime, I'm going to go relax and maybe read a little bit, which okay. will put me to sleep. Have fun. And then uh, and come all at crew. Yep. Should be fun. Okay. Maybe by tomorrow I, night, everybody will be on Zoom. We'll see how... I hope because I'm, you know, thinking maybe somebody can help us tomorrow. We'll see. Well, if not, then you know we'll put it off, but we'll yeah. see what we can do. So if Dave's still scheduled to come in, we just don't know. If that's he right. is if if time allows Got it. and okay. if, if if his schedule allows. So we don't know for sure. Okay. I'll know more Sunday afternoon sometime. So we'll see. All right, sorry. I will talk to I, you tomorrow. Okay. Bye. See ya. Bye. Jaws Professional, Gasman and Hughes, Gasman, date mock time for love 530326, cut. Windows M, desk M, my documents, enter, document 400W, Walden Hughes, master, enter, Walden, Friday 91, pasted. Time for love 53, Windows M, desk S, Seagate expansion, F, FS, F, Fibber, F, Friday night, enter, Friday S, Sister Elizabeth, songs by Sinatra, enter, song, songs by Sinatra, song, songs by Sinatra, 46, not selected, songs by Sinatra, 460306, F026, Bob Crosby, Skinny Ennis. Unloading jaw, can't, okay, enter.
Jaws items songs by Enter. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to Frank Sinatra. Night and day You are the one Only you Neath the moon Or under the sun Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Old Gold Cigarettes, the treasure of them all, presents... Songs by Sinatra. Frank's guests this evening, Skinny Ennis, the famous thin man of the Bob Hope Show, and Carlos Ramirez, MGM's handsome husky with a titanic baritone. Thank you, Marvin Miller, and please hand me one more of those super vitamin pills. I want to look as big and as strong as Carlos Ramirez. <laughs> well, boss, what you need is something to make you look as big and strong as Skinny Ennis. What kind of talk is that for you? <laughs> Marvin's out to become a comedian, folks, so we're feeding him a... Uh, uh, let him feed him with a few... Let me read that again. <laughs> Marvin's out to become a comedian, folks, so we're feeding him a few insult jokes to start with. <laughs> have to make this a little more simple for me, but I reckon later with the whispering skinny Ennis and Carlos Ramirez, the Latin with the blockbuster baritone. Axel, give me a little downbeat Orini and make it voot, boy, groovy and mellorini. <laughs> give me a little kiss with your heart. What are you gonna miss? Will you hug? Gosh, oh gee, why do you refuse? I can't see what you're gonna lose. Give me a little squeeze. Will you hug? Why do you wanna make me blue? I wouldn't say a word if I were asking for the world. But what's a little kiss between a fella and his girl? Give me a little kiss. Will you hug? And I'll give it right back to you. Give me a little kiss, will you, huh? Must I go on like this, will you, huh? Once again, a plea I'm gonna make. Tell me when do I get a break? Say that you're giving in, will you, huh? Anything that you ask, I'll do. I'll take you for a little ride where we can be alone. And once you kiss me, you will never think of walking home. Give me a little kiss, will you, huh? Or I'll steal about ten from you. Thank you, Axel Stardoff. And now to the classics. Maestro Axel raises the baton, and we hear... light an old gold for comfort for pleasure the comfort of extra protection against cigarette dryness the pleasure of luxurious extra flavor first old gold gives you the benefit of a remarkable moisture protecting agent we call apple honey made from the juice of fresh apples it helps prevent cigarette dryness and for extra flavor bouquet and aroma old gold adds a touch of latakia tobacco to give you a tastier smoke 
a friendlier smoke. Yes, light an old gold and enjoy the priceless comfort, the sheer pleasure of a truly great cigarette. Oh, since I got me a cigarette with Lanakia, nothing seems to jar my serenity. For a future bright and sunny, try a smoke with apple honey. Why be irritated like an OG? O for old and G for gold, smoke them when you're hot or cold. And here come those favorites of young and old, the number one foursome where records are sold, the Pied Pipers. You won't be satisfied until you break my heart. You're never satisfied until the teardrops are. I try to shower you with love and kisses, but all I ever get from you is nagging and bragging. My poor heart is dragging the way you toss my heart around to cry and shame. I'll bet you wouldn't like it if I did the same. You're only happy tearing all my dreams apart. Oh, you won't be satisfied until you break my heart. You won't be satisfied until you break my heart. You're never satisfied until the teardrops die. I've tried most everything to make you care. Pipers. Neighbors, tonight we're going to ask you to, uh, well, just a minute, excuse me, this character looks a little familiar. Say, uh, Bob, uh, do I know you? Well, my name's Bob Crosby. I, I think you know my brother. <laughs> oh, uh, you have a brother? Yeah. He sells insurance. <laughs> I have plenty. I also have two brothers who are agents. I have plenty. Oh. <laughs> then I have a brother who sings. I've had plenty of that, too. <laughs> so you're Bob Crosby. Uh, what do you do? I lead a band. Where? On this same network, right after your show. Uh-huh, and I suppose you're going to tell me you need a singer. No, tonight I've got a singer. Mm -hmm. Francis Langford. Swell, but tell me, uh, how come you're on CBS right after me? Well, that's all a part of Brother Bing's strategy. Brother Bing's strategy? Uh-huh. <laughs> 
I come right after you on CBS. Now, if we can get Larry and Everett, my other two brothers, on right before you, us Crosbys will have you surrounded. <laughs> the Crosby Empire stops at nothing. Good, good luck tonight, Bob, and I'll pay you a small visit a little later. That's swell, Frank. As I was saying, neighbors, tonight we're going to ask you to take pity on us poor characters who sing on the radio. Ours, indeed, is a confusing lot. Because the song that makes one person happy makes another person rip out his hair. To illustrate the radio singer's difficulty of pleasing all of the people all of the time, we're taking a few letters out of our daily mail and giving each letter a voice. For example, this letter. Dear Frankie, it's been weeks and weeks and weeks since you sang Embraceable You. And Frankie, if you don't sing it this Wednesday night, well, I'll just die, that's what I'll do. So he grits our teeth and we sings. Embrace me, my sweet embraceable you. Embrace me, my silk and laceable you. But trying to please the younger generation brings down upon our noggin the pent-up wrath of Madame Gottrock's Van Snootingham, devotee of the opera who says... Dear Mr. Sinatra, <laughs> your mutterings and mewings of the ghastly atrocity known as the popular love ballad have me on the verge of emotional disintegration. Can you not atone in part for your musical crimes by offering such great works as Miserere from the opera El Trovatore? Naturally, I expect you to sing it in the original Italian. Oh, but Natch. <laughs> so, we grits our teeth again and we sings. Quel swan, quel apreccia. Solene funaste, empiron questare, decupotero. Now, all this does for us is to draw 8,000 red hot letters from the Texas panhandle, of which the following note is typical Dear Mr. Sinatra, <laughs> that ill misery thing you sang the other night sure made us miserable. We would like to offer a suggestion that should be obvious to any fool. Namely, that the only music fit for the radio is that which describes the beauty and charm of the noble state of Texas. Why, sure. So we grits our upper 12 and lower 12, and we sings. <laughs> Deep within my heart is melody a song of old San Antonio where in dreams I live with a memory beneath the stars all alone it was there I found beside the Alamo Enchantment strange as the blue up above A moonlit pass that only she would know Still hears my broken song of love 
And then Sam, the mailman, pops in with another letter. Dear Mr. Sinatra, at the moment you go on the air, I'm putting my beautiful twins to bed. My complaint is this. How can you be so thoughtless as to sing those horrible Texas songs when my beautiful twins are going Betty by? So we grits what's left of our choppers and porcelain and we sings. Lullaby and good night with roses bedight with lilies bedecked is my baby's wee bed lay thee down now and rest may thy slumber be blessed lay Yes, uh, Marvin. I'm happy to report, boss, that we have another complaint. <laughs> <laughs> this, this letter says, Dear Frankie, you're great, except for one thing, you sing too loud. Why don't you sing nice and soft like Skinny Annis? Let me see that letter. Why don't you sing nice and soft like Skinny Annis? Where's the signature? Oh, here it is. Just as I thought, signed Skinny Annis. How do you like that? Skinny Annis, welcome to the Old Gold Show. I'm Frank Sinatra. Well, you a Frank Sinatra? Yeah, why? Man, I thought I was thin. <laughs> Look who's talking. Why, Annis, if you had a coat of wax, I could use you up for a wrap to wrap my lunch up. <laughs> well, I guess uh, I'll wrap that one up. Take it easy, Sinatra. Now, take it easy. You know I'm from the South, and I've got backbone. So what? I've got backbone, too. Yeah, but they left a little meat on mine. Oh, hey, hey. <laughs> Now, looky here, Skin. I've got some pretty fancy measurements, and you know it. Just look how big I am around the waist. Oh, that's a laugh. Man, I got circles under my eyes big around in that waist. <laughs> how about this chest, boy? What does this chest remind you of? Well, the way the ribs stick out could be Grandma Ennis' old corset. Skin, you're just jealous, that's all. I don't blame you. Here, just take a gander of these legs. You call them legs? You call them legs? Man, you just got long ankles. Oh. <laughs> hey, but Frank... <laughs> Frankie boy, what can I do for you? Marv Miller tells me he's got sort of a complaint. Yeah, one of our listeners says I sing too loud. Says, why don't I sing soft like you, Skin? Say, how about give me a demonstration, fat boy? One demonstration coming up, Muscles. Axel, a very soft downbeat for the Dixie Dynamo. <laughs> do you remember one September afternoon? I stood with you and listened to a wedding tune And didn't I go with you on your honeymoon Remember me Do you recall a cottage small upon a hill Where every day I had to pay another bill And if I'm not mistaken, dear, I pay them still Remember me Won't you try 
to recognize me now and then Why must I identify myself again For I'm the chap who has the key to your front door The boy who runs your errands to the grocery store And I'm the guy you cook the breakfast coffee for I'm only the husband that you're married to And I should look a little familiar to you Remember me Wonderful, Skinny. That listener was right. From now on, I'm going to sing nothing but soft. Now you're talking, Frank. Just get up to that microphone and whisper. I tell you, let's try one together, Skinny, and make sure I've got your style. Whispering while you cut me me. Please, you're screaming, boy. Whispering so no one can hear me. That boy is bellowing. I am not. Each little whisper seems to cheer. You must have sung in the polo ground <laughs> or something. I know it's true. There's no one, dear, but you. Shh, you're shouting. Why, you will never leave me. Whispering why you'll never grieve me. How raucous, how raucous. Whisper and say that you believe me. Whispering that I love you. Thanks a lot, Skinny Ennis. Don't mention it, Frank. See you later, boss. Hey, boss! <laughs> Yipe! Holy smokes, Marv. Keep it soft. Well, boss, there's another complaint in the mail here. This one says you sing too soft. Oh, no, no, no. It says, why don't you sing nice and loud like the great MGM baritone Carlos Ramirez? Let me see that letter. Nice and loud like Carlos Ramirez. I'm looking for the sick... Aha, uh -huh, just as I thought. Signed, Carlos Ramirez. Carlos, it sure is wonderful to have you on the old gold show. Tell me, old man, after all, we, we have so much in common, you know. Oh, have we? Why, of course. <coughs> you make pictures at MGM, and I make pictures at MGM. But how can that be? What do you mean, how can that be? At MGM, William Powell is the thin man. <laughs> this boy hasn't seen me next to Myrna Loy. In fact, neither has Myrna Loy. <laughs> but, Carlos, don't tell me you didn't see Anchors Away. Oh, but CCC, amigo. CCC, huh? Well, just exactly how many times did you CCC Anchors Away? Frank, I have a busy year. I only saw Anchors Away 10,000 times. How do you like that? Doesn't even support his own studio. <laughs> Carlos, I don't want to sound too modest, but before Gable came back and Garson got him, <laughs> I was lined up for the male lead in Adventure. <laughs> Only, uh, we were going to make it a murder mystery. Really? What are they going to call it, Frank? Sinatra's back and Garson shot him. <laughs> but Carlos, about these complaints, first they say I should sing soft like Skinny Ennis, then they say I should sing loud like you. Frank, with your physique, by all means, sing loud. What's my physique got to do with singing loud? If you cannot be seen, then be heard. <laughs> I dig you, Senor Ramirez. 
Here, how's about a demonstration, Axel? Get Mr. R into Maria, my own. Wonderful, wonderful Carlos Ramirez. Carlos, that listener was right. From now on, I'm going to sing nothing but loud. Now you're talking, Frank. Just get up that microphone on Beller. I tell you, let's go tandem on one, Carlos, and make <laughs> sure I've got your style. How about uh, Figaro? Good. That's a real loud one. People would need ear cotton. Stand back there, neighbors. Here we come. Tutti mi chiedono, tutti mi vogliono. Sono ragazzi, vecchi fanciulle, qua la parrucca, presso la barba, I got a headache. Tutti mi chiedono, tutti mi vogliono, tutti mi vogliono, tutti mi vogliono, con la parrucca, presso la barba, presso il biglietto. Figaro, 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 Dove hai fatto tu? Nella città, 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 nella città,
boss, can I say something about old gold? Take it, Marvin, my boy. Step up there. <laughs> when you light an old gold cigarette for the first time, all of a sudden, smoking is a new proposition. All of a sudden, you enjoy more comfort, more pleasure than you normally expect from a cigarette. Why? What's the secret of this miracle? Listen. Old gold does more to give you more. Old gold devotes more attention to those little details and refinements that make such a tremendous difference in your smoking pleasure. In old gold, you get not only a blend of the world's choicest tobaccos, you get more and added detail, Latakia tobacco, for extra flavor and richness. And in old gold, you get more than the ordinary moistening agent. You get the special humectant, apple honey, which helps prevent cigarette dryness. Even the paper on old gold is a luxurious detail, for it's made from virgin pure flax, converted into snow-white, smooth, even-burning cigarette paper. Ask for old golds at your tobacco counter. Look for them in the cigarette vending machines. Smoke an old gold. Then see exactly what we mean when we say, to get more out of your smoking, enjoy the cigarette that does more to give you more. Old gold. Watching clouds drifting by My schemes are just like all my dreams Ending in the sky Some fellows look and find the sunshine I always look and find the rain Some fellows make a winning sometimes I never even make a game I'm always chasing rainbows Waiting to find the little Chasing rainbows Waiting to find a little bluebird Like the oxygen tent after a long, hot day That leaves me fresh out of ozone Well... Maybe I've got just enough left for a bar or two of Put your dreams away For another day And I will take their place In your heart 
Wishing on a star Never got too far And so it's time to make A new start When your dreams at night Fade before you Then I'll have the right To adore you Na-da-dee And good night, Hay, and the best of the best to you and your family. Next Wednesday and every Wednesday is the night for Songs by Sinatra, presented by Old Gold, whose choice tobaccos are specially conditioned to help guard against cigarette dryness and to give you more smoking pleasure. Say... Don't let little annoyances get you down. Why be irritated? Light an old gold. The Frank Sinatra Show is written by Glenn Wheaton and produced and directed for Old Gold by Man Holliner. This is Marvin Miller speaking for Frank Sinatra until next Wednesday. And... Hey, what's this? Oh, yes, this is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Sinatra from 1946. Yes, sir, Perdue. Well, thank you for the opportunity we have to be on these microphones. Thank you for the platform to share the good news about your your son. Thank you for your hope of what you believe in him. Thank you for the opportunity of looking after the needy, the poor, the hungry, the homeless, Lord. Help them. Help those who are, who meet them be kind and generous. Help our friends around the world who might be going through war times. Those who have been going through the storms and the earthquake, Lord, look after each one of those people. Help their families who lost children in that school in Mexico. And Lord, help us. Help our military. Help our leaders make the right decisions internationally and domestically. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. I'm at the Bell Telephone Hour. Let's do that now. Here on Yesterday USA. Items view. Items view. Desktop. Windows M, Desk F, FS F, Fibber Mac F, Friday N enter, Friday B, Beta Band B, Bell Telephone Hour, Enter, Bell Telephone Hour, Bell Telephone Hour 440717 X Fritz Chrysler, Bell Telephone Hour 440820 X Nelson Eddy, Bell Telephone Hour 560429 X 16th Birthday Party, Bell, Bell Telephone Hour 56, Enter.
It's the telephone hour birthday broadcast. Presenting Lily Ponce, Jose Iturbi, Brian Sullivan, Eileen Farrell, Michael Rabin, Donald Voorhees, and the Bell Telephone Orchestra. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Telephone Hour, which tonight from New York's Carnegie Hall brings you a special hour-long program celebrating our 16th year of weekly broadcasts. It was on April 29, 1940, that the homes of America heard the first of the Telephone Hour series, presenting to you the world's finest music performed by the world's greatest artists. Tonight, our six stars have chosen some of their favorite selections, and Donald Voorhees and the Bell Telephone Orchestra start off our entertainment with the lovely Introduction and Lilac Ferry from The Sleeping Beauty by Tchaikovsky.
most popular and gifted of all American sopranos is Eileen Farrell, who has been heard many times on the telephone hour. For her first song, she sings Oli Speaks Morning. Conductor Donald Voorhees first heard Michael Rabin play, the violinist was 13 years old. Mr. Voorhees was so impressed that it was decided then and there that young Mr. Rabin should be presented on our program. This happy experience took place that year in August 1950. And now tonight, Michael Rabin, almost five years older and a couple of hundred concerts wiser, plays the major work of his telephone hour debut. With Donald Voorhees and the Bell Telephone Orchestra, the finale from the concerto in E minor by Mendelssohn.
July 17, 1944, will long be remembered in the history of the telephone hour. That night, the world-famous violinist Fritz Kreisler made his first radio appearance. Although he is now retired, Mr. Kreisler's music is still an important part of our program. Donald Voorhees and the Bell Telephone Orchestra now play for us Fritz Kreisler's ever-popular Caprice Viennois.
pause now for station identification. One, we learned that some of the artists long associated with the telephone hour would be out of the country. Jose Iturbe was one of those we wished to present. So we asked him to make a special trip to New York City to make this recording for you. We're in Carnegie Hall. It's February 28th, and Donald Voorhees is talking to Mr. Iturbe. Jose, we're very sorry you can't be with us in person for the big show. I'm sorry too, Don. I'm delighted, though, to make this record for your celebration and to send the telephone hour and its listeners my very, very best wishes. I have played on your program many times, and it's always been a pleasure and an inspiration. Now, what should I play? Well, how about one of your biggest hits? One of the two pieces of which your recordings passed the million mark in sales. All right, but uh, which one? Chopin's Polonaise in A-flat or Claire de Lune by Debussy? Oh, by all means, Claire de Lune, please. I believe you are more individually associated with that piece. All right, Claire de Lune.
it's my pleasure to introduce Lily Pons in a new role, that of announcer. Thank you, Mr. Mack. Before our next number, we want to pay tribute to the orchestra and to Donald Voris, who has conducted the telephone hour for more than 15 years. During this time, the program has won many awards, bringing honor to this musician and Mr. Voris for presenting music of the highest caliber. So Don, congratulations. And for all of your artists, may I say thank you for the wonderful way you work with us. Thank you, Lily. conducts the Bell Telephone Orchestra in the Pines of the Appian Way from Respighi's The Pines of Rome.
Now, Miss Boss, how about introducing the final number on our birthday broadcast? This is the beautiful duet which is sung by Rodolfo and Mimi in the first act of Puccini's La Boheme. They have just fallen in love and Rodolfo turns to Mimi and begins to sing O Suave Fanciulla with Don Alvarez and Bell Telephone Orchestra, Aileen Farrell and Brian Sullivan join to bring us this romantic scene.
We hope you've all enjoyed tonight's Telephone Hour birthday broadcast as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. And we hope that you will join us next week and every week for the world's best music performed by the world's finest artists. During the weeks to come, you will continue to hear not only those who have appeared tonight, but other world-famous personalities, such as Victoria de los Angeles, Renata Tebaldi, Zeno Franciscati, Mildred Miller, Robert Casadesus, Lucine O'Mara, George London, and others. And, of course, Donald Voorhees and the Bell Telephone Orchestra. Until next Monday, then, when we present the young American baritone Theodore Upman, we remain sincerely yours, the Bell Telephone System, reminding you that someone, somewhere, close to home or far away, would enjoy hearing your voice by telephone tonight. Programming here, so let's figure out what's in the folder. So stand by, everybody. You know what I will know. Alright. Friday night, meet the band, American Family Song. Meet the Belt, Beverly Wash, Breakfast with Dorothy and Dick, Kathy and Ellie, Cavill, Kate, Chesterfields, Chick Carter, Couple Next Door, December of 1941, Fold, Double or Nothing, D.R. Ethel and Albert, First Nighter, John Wayne, KFI, KF, Let's Talk to Luke, Little Things in Luck, Metropolitan Opera, New York Philharmonic, Sister Elizabeth Kennett, Songs by Sinat, Stop the Music, Theater Guild on the Air, Tonight Show, Tonight Show Folder 1, Upper Room, VJ covered, Vic and say, what's my line? Lux Radio Theater 391, meet me in ST. People will say we're radio, Ronald Ray, radio opening, Ronald the perfect, Ron, radio, people, meet me in Lux Radio, th- what's my line? Enter, what's my, what's my line exit, what's my line? And, what's my line exit, ex- what's, what's my line exit, enter. star of stage and television, Miss Arlene Francis. And now a very entertaining spy from I've Got a Secret, the droll and witty Henry Morgan. On my left, New York City's new first lady, the wife of our mayor, Mrs. John V. Lindsay. And on my left, our family's favorite source 
of fun and jokes, Mr. Bennett, sir. Mrs. Lindsay, it's my chance to say that I think your husband's going to be about the greatest mayor we've had in this town in many, many years. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. And if our, if our panel moderator seems a bit skittish tonight, he's had a rather tough day. Up at Lenox Hill Hospital, he had a suspended nurse for three days because he caught her without gauze. Uh, oh. John Charles Daly. <laughs> I don't know how it feels to let one of those loose Bennett and just hear nothing but a moan. Tell me, how does it feel? <laughs> Mrs. Lindsay, may I say that we are much honored to have the first lady of this great city of New Thank York you, with Mr. us. Daly. Thank you, and with his honor in the control room, you're on your metal, so uh, <laughs> we'll try to give you something to play with tonight. I think we've got some very interesting contestants, and Henry, good to see you, sir. Visited good to you see you, John. A little while ago, and I hope you have as much fun with us as I had with you all, and I've got a secret. Uh, we've got some very interesting occupations, as I said. We'll also have a famous mystery guest before my friends on the panel a little bit later in the program. But right now, let's meet our first contestant. Will you enter and sign in, please? Radford. Du Bois, right, sir? Yes. Mr. Du Bois, where are you from? Yazoo City, Mississippi. Yazoo City in Mississippi. Yes, sir. Well, it's nice to have you with us, and may I present our panel, Mr. Du Bois. Now, if you'll join me over here, sir, we'll let the audience in the theater and the audience at home know exactly what your line is. Mr. Du Bois raises turtles. All right. Panel, we can tell you that Mr. Du Bois is self-employed and deals in a product. And we will begin the general questioning with... Uh, Arlene Francis. Mr. Du Bois, is it a useful product? Yes. Is it a product that I might use? Yes. Is it a product that I could hold in my hand? Yes. Is it now or has it ever been alive? Yes. <laughs> Let me just register one thought with you before we go on. You ask, Please. is it a useful product? And here I don't want to mislead you. If you are strictly thinking of a utilitarian concept, then we would say probably no, or give you a uh, qualified answer anyway, but you go on on that basis. Thank you, John. Uh, is the product at the time you are dealing with it alive? Yes. Is it a product that one might see around the home? Yes. Is it um, four-footed? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, is it a domestic animal? No. Well, just we'll have to have a small conference. I'd like here. it domesticated if it's around my house. <laughs> got one domesticated animal around here. <laughs> I think to be absolutely fair, and Mr. Du Bois agrees with me, that um, we, would, we would say, yes, it is domesticated, i.e., it is, you know, you know part of uh, a reasonable household or farm operation or... Mm -hmm. uh, at least it's uh, Is it an animal that has a uh, furry coat? No. No. One down and nine to go, Mr. Morgan. It's um, four-footed and it's smooth. <laughs> and uh, it's domesticated. 
Uh, it's around the house, but you didn't seem to find much value in it. Um, is it, do people who have one of these, oh, there's a nifty question. Would people be likely to have only one of it? Could. Them. Could. Mm -hmm. Could. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, let's try it this way. If I had one, would I get another one, do you think? I would hope so. Start with the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would make a set. It, would you say that the people who buy this buy it more, uh, almost like a, as a hobby or to be different? Because it doesn't sound like a usual kind of pet. Well, you can't answer that yes or no, can you? It's a little hard, Henry. I think with Mr. Du Bois's permission, we would agree that you could put it in the kind of classification of hobby, yes. Wouldn't you say so, Mr. Du Bois? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, is this animal ever eaten? No. Uh, I'm in a very difficult position here. I specifically, no, but we would have to um, agree that in the whole area of this, quote, animal, close quote, yes. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay, let's um, uh, try for size. Is it uh, about so big? No. That's two down at H. Go, Mrs. Lindsay. Uh, is this animal, when you say you'd have it, uh, you'd own one, would you necessarily keep it in the house or would, might you have it outdoors? Well, would, yeah, would you have it outdoors rather than in the house? No. No. Three down and seven to go. You see, you shouldn't ever take counsel from Ben and Sarah. <laughs> no, I said you had to put it in a way to get yes or no. Uh, Mr. Du Bois, if it's in the house, would it be allowed to wander around the house without a string or chain attached to it? No. Four down and six Couldn't to go. Couldn't let it free, in other words. No, you would not let it. You, you're, you, the tendency would be not to let it free. Miss Francis? For the most part, then, would one keep this animal in a cage? No. Five down and five to go, Mr. Oh, Morgan. Now, <laughs> this is an animal. Yeah. Yes. And you don't keep it in a cage, but you don't let it wander around. I'm just talking to myself for a minute here. Do you tie it? You do tie it up. No. No. Six down and four to go, Mrs. Lindsay. <coughs> Would this animal uh, be generally considered, you generally see it maybe in a zoo originally? No. Nope. Seven down and three to go, Mr. Sir. Uh, can we eliminate the dog family from our questioning? Yes, sir. Can we eliminate the cat family from our yeah. questioning? Yes, sir. Uh, can we eliminate the rodent family from our question? Yes, sir. Is it larger than the ordinary sized dog? No. no. Eight down and two to go, Miss Francis. I think we'd better just get this down, uh, if I may repeat. It has no fur, but it has four feet. And it's not in the dog family or the cat family or the rodent family. And you don't keep it in the cage. And you don't keep it on a lead. And yet it doesn't go around the house of its own volition. And it isn't in my family either. And it isn't in your family. Do people in New York have these? Yes. <laughs> they just didn't let me in on it, I think. Uh, does it do anything? Yes. Is there anything entertaining about it? 
Yes. I would say yes, that if you had it, you would certainly would so. want to show it to your, uh, you know, friends, friends and visitors, and they would, we'd be sure, be amused. But how do you show it to them? Obviously, you can't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you one minute more. Are we way off the track? Well, I would think that's a pretty good All way right. to put it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did I, did you answer earlier that you cannot hold it in your hand? No. no. We said you could hold it in your you hand. You said you couldn't. You could. You could hold it in your hand. Mm -hmm. yeah. Therefore, it's a very small animal. Yes. Uh, is it so small that one could call it a bug of some kind? No. No, no, you're the only ones being bugged around here tonight. That's nine down and one to go, Mr. Morgan. Is it, is it anything like a frog? Is it a member of the frog family? No, is it anything like a frog? <laughs> no. Yeah, you're very generous. Mr. Du Bois says he'll give you a qualified yes on that. All right, all right, now this... I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> Is it like a turtle? You may have 15... Oh, a what, a turkey? Oh, turtle. A who? Thank you. That's absolutely right. And I think, actually, we'll throw this over just for good fun. Congratulations, Mrs. Lindsay. Congratulations, Henry. Because it was a tough one. Mr. Du Bois raises and sells turtles on the Du Bois uh, turtle farm in Yazoo City. And uh, they ship about a million turtles a year, a half a million alone to um, uh, Woolworths, you know, for, the, for pets. Yeah. They're all, all pets. And we, uh, we really had them stuck. You, your generosity gave us away. <laughs> and I must say, Mr. Du Bois is a member of the House of Representatives of the Mississippi State Legislature. He is also a Green Beret. He's a major commanding a National Guard unit, <laughs> Special Forces. And, uh, he has a new distinction. And, and we raise catfish also. And he raises catfish also. That's the <laughs> other thing. Thank you very much, sir. It was great <laughs> fun. I hope you enjoyed it. And now another contestant. Will you enter and sign in, please? Christina. Christina. Vote, right? Just to show you what an awful thing habit can be, I nearly said to you, is it Miss or Mrs., but I'll take it back. <laughs> so, Miss Vote, where are you from? McPherson, Kansas. McPherson, Kansas. Very nice to have you with us. Miss Vote, may I present our panel? And now, if you'll join me over here, we'll let the audience in the theater and the audience at home know exactly what your line is. Miss Vote writes a column for a newspaper. Panel, we can tell you that Miss Vote is salaried and deals in a service, and we'll begin the questioning with Mrs. Lindsay. Uh, Miss Vote, do you, would I enjoy using your service, or would I, no, excuse me, would I come to you to use your service? No. No, not specifically to her. No, that's one down and nine to go, Mr. Sir. Christina, do you work for a profit-making organization? Yes. Would the organization be sort of in your family, possibly? No. Two down and eight to go, Miss Francis. When one has your service, Miss Vote, 
Would one have it in one's home? Yes. Um, do you uh, look after something in your job, Miss Boat? No. Three down no. and seven to go, Mr. Morgan. Do you... I, what you do is part-time, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> now, I would say Miss Boat is in the fifth grade of the Galva Grade School in Galva, Kansas. We'll tell you this. <clears throat> mm. Um, well, I'm trying to think, you know, what do you do after school that, that uh, a girl like that would do? Do you, do you, I forgot, this is a, was this a salaried service? Yeah. You, um, do this for men and women? Yes. And do you do it for groups of men and women? Yes. Then you go to where they are. No. no. That's four down and no. six to go, Mrs. Lindsay. Miss Vogt, do you provide entertainment in any way for yes. men and women? Uh, so do you do your form of service within a specific kind of building? No. I would, with your permission, say that we would agree that the service as it is offered might very well um, have a locus that was reasonably constant. Would you say that? So on that basis, you go ahead. We never do. I'd rather have a no answer. People go and watch you do what you do. No, no. that is a oh, misconception on the basis of the answers you have. All right. No, we've not, we've not said that. So that if you are, that well, is Well, do your... people go and watch you do? No. You... Nope, they do not. Five down and five to go, Mr. Sir. Uh, Christine, you are then in some form of the amusement industry, is that correct? Yes. Has it anything to do with television? No. Six down and four to go, Miss Francis. Do you play a musical instrument, Christina? No. Seven down and three to go, Mr. Morgan. You did say you did this uh, with large, uh, well, groups of men and well, women. Well, in a group. The, the, the inference that we wanted to leave with you, that certainly we would agree that there is a group identification with those who would be interested in the particular service which she has to offer, yes. What'd he say? I don't know. Ask me. <laughs> you gotta speak simpler to me. I, I, I know she can understand you, but I <laughs> I, I must say, I'm, I'm ashamed, but I'm gonna have to pass. Mrs. Lindsay? Do you, enter, uh, do you teach? people how to do something. No. Eight down and two to go, Mr. Surf. Uh, Christina, is there any athletic or dexterity required in what you do? No. Nine down and one to go, Miss Francis. Is, do you wear something other than what you're wearing now when you're performing your service, Christina? Yes. Um. This, uh, if you, if you really mean, could the service be performed in what she's wearing now? No, that isn't what I mean, John, but it's all right if you want to put it that way. No, I meant, did she wear something other than her ordinary dress? Oh, that's fine. That's 10 <laughs> down. No more to go, which is all we were looking for. We beat them, Christina. Congratulations. She's Christina writes <laughs> advice to children in a newspaper column oh. for the Hutchinson News. Answers letters from young people her own age and from teenagers generally about parental problems. You know how they all have trouble with uh, the parents, don't, don't they, Christina? 
And she works for the Hutchinson News, which is uh, quite a newspaper, Bennett. You know, they got the... Um, got a Pulitzer Award, did you not, for the, your coverage of the uh, reapportionment issue in Kansas? Christina, what do you think of rock and roll? <laughs> I don't know. You don't know? See, that's how she writes the column. Eh? She gets the letters. <laughs> and she says, uh, she's honest enough to say, I don't know. We're not going to get you in trouble. See, that's the trouble with Bennett. If he asks you that question, then you couldn't go home for a month if you told the truth, right? <laughs> well, we won't allow that to happen, but we will tell you it's been a joy having you with us, and thanks very much for coming to Now the special feature of our program, the appearance of our mystery challenger, for which you know the panelists have to be blindfolded. Are the blindfolds all in place, panel? Yes, sir. Yes, Good. Sir. Will you enter mystery challenger and sign in, please? Our mystery guest is actor Paul Ford. panel, as you know, a different form of questioning. One question at a time, in turn, moving clockwise, and we will begin with um, Bennett Cerf. Would your name usually be found in the entertainment section of the newspapers? Yes. Miss Francis? Are you a performer in the theater? Yes. Mr. Morgan? Are you currently employed in the Broadway theater? Yes. Mrs. Lindsay? Are you in a musical on Broadway? No. One down and nine to go, Mr. Cerf. Are you in a play of uh, comparatively recent origin on Broadway? Yes. Miss Francis? Do you in this play uh, play a person of noble birth, a king? No. <laughs> Two down at eight to go, Mr. Morgan. Is uh, the play you're in a comedy? Yes. Mrs. Lindsay? Uh, are, you are the leading man? Yes. Mr. Cerf? Is it a play that has opened within the past two weeks? Yes. Miss Francis? In the past two weeks. Uh, oh. oh, torture. Don't hear a sound. No, I, I'm going to pass. I can't think of anything but the lion in winter. Uh. A comedy in the last two weeks? You can't pass, because then it'll be my turn. <laughs> a comedy in the last two weeks. Did you pass, Arlene? I did. I'm ashamed. All right, Henry, it's up to you. I happen to be passing at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Lindsay? <laughs> I give up. I... <laughs> ben is a bit of I... Is it a play that could possibly have just opened tonight? Yes. Oh, ho, ho. Oh, ho, 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 jolly. Oh, uh, <laughs> Could it be the gentleman who played in Never Too Late recently? Paul Ford. Paul Ford. Paul? 
first time that we've been able to do that. Oh, Three bags man. full, open tonight at the Henry Miller Theater. Uh, How long has the curtain been down? How would you do it? Uh, it came down at 9.30. Came down at 9.30. Well, it went up at 7.30. Went up early yeah. curtain. Well, needless to say, I know what, uh, at least if I, all the traditions and legends of the theater that I know about are true, you're waiting for those morning papers. Oh, yes. Reviews. Oh, yes. Well, we well you're a wonderful actor, Mr. Ford, no matter what happens. Oh. Thank you, I do know that. <laughs> The response was great, I can tell you that. Good. Well, I'm sure, I'm what does the sure. title the, mean, Paul? What does three bags full mean? Yes, well, sir, uh, yes, sir. The, the three bags play a very important part in the play. Let's Sounds not like go into this too play. hard. <laughs> oh, no, no, no car carpet bags. Carpet bags. Oh. Yeah. Better, what is the old childhood rhyme? You know, it's da 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 three yes, bags. Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags, bags full. full. Have, yeah. you yeah. Have you any wool? Have you any wool? Then you see they make carpets sheep. out of wool, and, and uh, <laughs> so there you are. The thing, of course, I guess, Paul, you hear it so often, but I must say none of us will ever forget those glorious days of, uh, of uh, Phil Silvers and, and Bill Coe. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you uh, played the uh, commanding officer, sir. I'm, uh, That's I, right. That's, uh, I was in the Army there for about five, five years. years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you retired. Well, we got our fingers crossed. We hope you get the best notices that have been written this year in New York. Oh, thanks. thanks you <laughs> lot for coming to see us. Thank you very much. say on points panel I think I owe you some congratulations even though we did give you some rather rough periods tonight Mrs. Lindsay again it's been an honor to have you with us hope you enjoyed yourself and Henry good to see you there hope you come back again soon thank you very much and good night Miss Arlene Francis good night which is the most difficult game to play this or I've got a secret <laughs> this no yeah this. yeah this is much harder because uh, on this panel you're, you've got to know something <laughs> <laughs> Well, we know we're glad we had you. Good night, Henry. Well, thank you so much. Good night, Arlene. Good night, Mrs. Lindsay. Good night, Mr. Morgan. Good night, Mr. Stern. Delightful to sit next to you. Thanks to all of you for being with us on What's My Life. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
Friday night show, Rick and Sade. See Kathy Cavalcade of them. Enter items, graphics, logs, and articles. Radio shows. Enter rating 1936, page down. 1952, 1947, in Passport to Freedom on the DuPont Cavalcade of America. America, from the Pony Express to the jet-propelled plane. America means skyscrapers and haylofts, home sweet home and the Basin Street Blues. The glare of a blast furnace against the midnight sky. A land where freedom is not just a word stamped on a coin. America is you and everyone you know. In just a moment, the DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry, brings you Paul Lucas in Passport to Freedom. But first, here is Gain Whitman for DuPont. When you buy rainwear and sportswear, make sure that its water repellency is durable, that it won't come out the first time you wash or clean your garment. You do make sure if you look for the DuPont Zelan tag. Zelan is DuPont's durable repellent finish. Unlike ordinary water repellents, Zelan protection doesn't disappear at the laundry or cleaners. Zelan is one of the DuPont company's better things for better living through chemistry. Starring Paul Lucas in Passport to Freedom on the DuPont Cavalcade of America. Is there a formula for freedom, American style? Yes, I suppose there is. A formula based on such elements as the brain of a Thomas Jefferson, the heart of a Lincoln, and the sinew and bone of millions who had the courage to dare and to err and to dare again until the proper ratio of liberty and law should be established for all. Our story begins not in America, but in a country in Middle Europe. The time is the present, and in one of the offices of the Foreign Visa Bureau stands Martin Schlesan, cap in hand, presenting his case before an examiner. Please believe me, sir. I have no desire to go to America even for a brief visit. But my sister, who has lived there for 18 years, recently lost her husband and is now in some difficulties. How do you know this? She has written me several letters, and I... You have the letters with you? Yes, sir, right here. Mm-hmm. I seem to remember seeing your name on this week's list of civil offenders. Schlesan, Schlesan. <laughs> here it is. Schlesan, Jan, uh, your brother? No, sir, my, my cousin. We live in the same house. Jan, his wife, Maria, and their, their boy, Stani, and I. Schlesan, Jan. Offense overheard to complain about the government rationing of potatoes. Oh, I assure you, sir, he meant no harm. No harm? Any complaint about the government measure is a direct attack against the state. Yes, sir. But at heart, Jan is a good patriot. Um, 
about my request for a visa. It will be submitted in due course to the Board of Inquirers. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, one moment. I must stamp your application. Nadia, is there anything else to eat besides this soup? Jan Slezan, you are lucky to be eating at all. Jan, if you want to know how really well off you are, just read the newspaper and see what is going on in a country like America. Uh. Martin... Does it say anything in the newspaper about when the government will let us buy another pair of shoes? Stanis are impossible to repair anymore. But, Maria, do you realize that in capitalist countries, the children of the working people are often have no shoes at all? Only the rich have the comforts of life. Since when are shoes a comfort? Jan. Mine aren't. It's not a joking matter. Here, look at this cartoon in the paper. It shows how a capitalist nation treats its working class. This is the capitalist, see? With the silk hat and the bags of money and the whip in his hand. It must be very hard over there for your sister and her two children. No wonder she wants you to go over and help her. Who's that? Ah, it's Stani. Hello. Oh, your feet are wet. Here, son, sit by the stove. I'll get you a towel. Jan, get some more coal from the backyard. All right, all right. A man can never be let alone for well, how do you like your engineering studies? I hate them. Stani, I wanted to study science. I wanted to be a doctor. But the country needs engineers, so all the boys in my class would change to the engineering course. Whether we liked it or not. But Stani, think how fortunate you are to be getting an education at all. Why, in capitalist countries, the youth of the working classes have no opportunities whatsoever for education or culture. Take, I admire my boy, Stani. And for your own sake, as well as our country's, be a good engineer. I suppose there's nothing else I can do. Uh, that's a good boy. Now, let, let me see your engineering book. Uh, that's not one of my school books. That is... Well, well, let me see what you are reading, huh? I... Stanley, this is the book by the traitor, Prijinsky. Well, what of it? Uh, the government banned it. Prijinsky had to flee the country. Did anyone see you reading it? Does anyone you know you have it? But even if they had, I do not see why... You don't see. Prezinsky's book attacked our government and everything it has done for us. And anyone who reads the book is also attacking our government. Open the stove. What are you going to do? Burn the book before anyone else finds out you read it. Oh, wasn't there someone coming in the back door? Oh, Martin, look. It's all right, it's just mother. Oh, Martin, another letter for you from Sophie. And look, the envelope is so thick. There must be something in it. What is it, Stanley? Let me see. It's a page from an American newspaper with my cousin's picture on it. Why, did he commit a crime against the state? No, his classmates voted him the most likely to succeed. Cousin oh. Martin read it to me. There's Eva across the street. I'll bet she'd like to see this. Hey, Eva, come over here. It's a great honor, isn't it? What is your cousin's How name? How old is he? What does he do? Oh, look. What's all the excitement about? Oh, nothing, officer. Uh, we were just looking at something. Let me have it. This is an English newspaper. No, American. How did you get it? It was sent to my cousin by his sister. Ah, illegal literature smuggled into the country, eh? Well, we'll take care of that. Uh, no, please don't. Oh, you dare to protest the action of a policeman? <laughs> oh. 
you please, sir. I came to learn the Board of Inquirer's decision of my request for a visa. Martin Slezan, inasmuch as you are a mechanic at the Kredak Motor Factory, the Board considers you essential to our government's plan for immediate recovery and progress. Therefore, visa refused. I will stamp it so. But, sir, I have put in double the number of working hours at the factory to make up for the time I would be absent. If the board would reconsider my request, sir. Leave these papers with me. The situation will be investigated by the security police. Why do you want to go to America? Because my sister needs Sergeant, me there to... order the Central Bureau to find out if he has a sister in America. This whole thing may be an international plot. Martin Slezan? Yes, sir. You have been ordered to appear before me for further questioning in regard to your request for a visit to America. Uh, you, uh, you can speak English? Yes, sir. If you should be permitted to go to America, you would be questioned about our life there, the way we work, the things we do, so that the facts could be twisted and used against us. They would get nothing from me. Nothing. I see that you are a true patriot, citizen. Your application for a visa is granted. Official government newspaper. Huh? Please. Official government newspaper? I ain't never heard of one. I've been a newsie for 15 years. Well, then how do the people know which paper tells the truth? Well, they all tell the truth, only it comes out different. You pay your money and you take your choice. It's your late favorite, here. Grand Central Station? Sure, it's right across the street and through those doors there, see? Thank you very much. Now, that's okay. Say, uh, you got a match? A match? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, certainly. Thanks. It must be hard to be so poor. What? Not to have the money to buy a few matches. That is how it is in a capitalist society, huh? <laughs> hey, wait a minute. In this country, matches are given away free. I just happen to be out of them at the moment. Ticket? Yes, sir. He, here it is. Uh, excuse me, sir. You have worked for this railroad company a long time? <laughs> 20 years. For 20 years, to be underpaid, to have no rights, to be victimized and exploited. It is a terrible way to live. I wouldn't know, friend. Bernie, if it's so bad, why don't you quit? Why don't I? But no, no, I, I mean you. You are the one who is being downtrodden and exploited and... I am? And... <laughs> now think of that. And I thought everything was fine. <laughs> we uh, pull into Green Hill at 11 in the morning. Sophie. Sophie. 
so good to see you. Oh, Martin, it has been so long. Almost 18 years. You are Unlike just you. as I remember you. Oh, I would have known you anywhere. Come, Martin, let us get into the car and drive home. Sophie, it, it was not necessary you should engage a taxi for me. Oh, it is not a taxi. It is our own car. And this is our living room, Uncle Martin. It's very nice, Perry. Sophie, you live in this house? Oh, yes, of course. But the rent, it, it, it must be very high. <laughs> Martin, dear, it is our own house. Your own? But, Sophie, I understood from your letters that your husband was only a worker in the mill. Yes, he was. But I cannot understand. A home like this for a, for a worker? car and the piano. Yeah. Sis plays the piano. Me, I'll take the radio. <laughs> radio? You have a radio? Sure, I'll turn it on for you. It's kind of old now. Frederick, is it a shortwave radio? Can you get foreign broadcast? Sure, it's got a shortwave band and one for the police the call. Uh, listen, here's something now. And in vetoing the measure, it seems to me that the president has taken a step, or rather a misstep, which places squarely on his shoulders and those of his advisors the full responsibility for the slowing down of the reconversion program. Who is, who is that? The enemy? Are you tuned into a foreign station? No, it's one of the news commentators. An American commentator? Sure. But he was criticizing your president. He's attacking your government. Oh, that goes on all the time. Let's try another station. In taking a stand, the president showed forthright courage and a firm determination to put national reconversion on a sound basis. Public response indicates that the veto will meet with the approval of consumer and manufacturer. Now, he, that, that one, he's the government spokesman, isn't he? No. Sounds like Ray Glenby. He's on for Denisov. But he says the president is right, and the other man said the president is wrong. Now, who tells the people which one speaks the truth? We figured that out for ourselves. Oh, Miss Fielding, Hello. please come in. Thank you. This is my brother, Martin. Martin, this is our neighbor, Miss Helen Fielding. Oh, it is a pleasure. Oh, ever since your sister told me you were coming over, I've been very eager to meet you. So? Yes, I write the social notes for the Gazette. That's our local newspaper. I want to do a really big piece on you, a visitor from so you far You are a away. reporter? <laughs> I try to be. When did you leave your country? Did you have any trouble getting past Why do you ask all this? Oh, just to get some facts for my story. How's your recovery program working out? Have all these reforms been instituted yet? I do not have to reply to these questions. What? Of course not, but... I was warned that there would be people here who would try to get information about my country's plan. But I assure you, I have... You are no... wasting your time, young woman. You will get nothing out of me. You are listening to Passport to Freedom, starring Paul Lucas as Martin Schlesan on the Cavalcade of America, sponsored by the DuPont Company maker of better things for better living through chemistry. As the second part of our story opens, Martin, visiting his sister in America, is puzzled by the contradictions he has seen. He is unable to reconcile the foreign propaganda picture of America with the real America he is seeing for the first time. 
But stubbornly, he clings to his distorted ideas and now speaks to his sister. Sophie, I have been thinking. And I'm going to try to get the permission to take you and the children back home with me. Back home? <laughs> Martin, don't be foolish. What an idea. You have physical comfort here, yes. But you have no freedom, no opportunities, no rights. Martin, stop talking like that. I wouldn't dream of going back. The children were born here. This is their country. Why, Freddie will be going to college next year. College? You can pay for college? Yes. Now that we'll have the insurance money, and since Freddie's getting a scholarship, it won't be too hard. He's going to be a doctor, you Hi, know. Hi, in there. Anybody home? Oh, Martin, can you look out of the window and see who that is? Yes. Oh, it is a very poor girl. Well, what do you mean? She has no shoes. Not all the workers' families are as well off as you, eh, Sophie? <laughs> oh, my goodness, Martin. Do you know who that is? The daughter of Mr. Abbott, who runs the mills. In the summer, all the young people go barefoot. Yes, Diana? Hello, Mrs. Rojak. Is Freddie home yet? No, dear, he's still working at the mill. Oh, Bean. I'm going to have to talk to Dad about letting the summer crew off earlier. It's ruining my date life. Will you please tell Freddie to pick me up after supper? All right, dear. So long. Sophie, this girl, the daughter of this Mr. Abbott, she's friends with your Freddie? Yes. Now, in a capitalist system, it is not usual that the daughter of the man who owns the mill is friendly with one of the workers. Sophie, she's a spy. What? She's getting secrets out of Freddy about the workers and then reporting these to her father. Oh, Martin, it isn't like that at all. Besides, Mr. Abbott doesn't own the mill. It has many owners, the stockholders. Why, George left me some shares in it so that makes me an owner, too. Confused. He repeatedly mentioned his rival candidates. That's right. A Democrat and an Independent. He's the Republican. You mean there is more than one candidate for the office? Of course. If there wasn't, why bother holding an election? But if there are three candidates, how can the people know which is the right one? Well, sometimes it is hard to decide. But at least it's the people themselves who make that decision. Not one man or a small group of men. And, all things considered, we've done very well across the years. Is that not the danger of making a mistake? Yes. But we can always correct that mistake at the next election, if the majority of the people agree with us. That is so strange. A government by trial and error. And trial and success. <laughs> you know, Mr. Slazon, the trouble with you is you're much too suspicious. And why should I not be? This is a capitalist country. A free one, Mr. Slazon. Oh, a free. That is what they have made you believe. Here is no real freedom. No? I... Look, do you see this book I have here? A book? What has a book got to do with what we were talking about? Everything. Read the title. The Failure of American Democracy. Failure? But this book must be against the system you have here. It is. And then they will arrest you for reading it. No, they won't. I can read any book I want to. Anyone can. There's no such thing in America as forbidden books. 
than maybe in your country, but here we have free speech and free press. Ah, that is not so. In America, you are the slaves of a decadent system which does not allow books against itself. Where in the world did you get such a mass of misinformation about us? Look, there's Ben Hicks, the constable. We'll let him settle the argument. No, please, please, he will arrest you. You wait right here. Evening, Ben. Evening, Miss Fielding. Ever read this book, Ben? Huh? The Failure of American Democracy. No, can't say I have. Is any good? Well, it tears into our way of living and working and says it's all wrong. That's so. Well, everybody's entitled to his own opinion, I always say. I guess that's right, Ben. See you later. Okay, Miss Fielding. Well, my friend, are you satisfied now? <laughs> He did not even realize what a threat the book is. When everyone can speak his mind freely and openly, no book is a threat. Anyone can get up and say whatever he thinks about the government or, or the administration of taxes. Anyone? They would not let someone like me say what I think. Of course they would. Uh, I cannot believe that. All right, I'll prove it to you. I'll arrange for you to be the guest speaker at the town hall meeting next week. And I can say whatever is in my mind without being arrested? Absolutely. Very well, but no matter what you tell me, I do not believe that I, I will be allowed to speak. Ladies and gentlemen, you all know something about our speaker tonight. You've read the notice in the Gazette. He has some very interesting ideas about a number of important subjects. So I take great pleasure in introducing Mr. Martin Slazan. Ladies and gentlemen, I have prepared a speech summing up my impressions of American democracy, its flaws and inequalities, the misuse of power and wealth, I have the list in my hand, and... you to come here. Why don't you go back where you came from if you don't like it? I told you, Helen, you see? I knew this would happen. Free speech, democratic way of life. Where are they now? Tell me. You see? I said I was going to talk against your government, and before I can say more than a few words, that man stops me. Martin, just a moment. Wait a minute, folks. Wait a minute. What's all the excitement? Constable Hicks. The police. Oh, the police. You see? They have come to arrest me. Please, Martin, just a minute. Now, quiet down, everyone. Just take it easy. Take it easy. Now, suppose somebody tells me what all the shooting's about. I'll tell you, Constable. Mr. Slazan was going to speak, and Joe Sampson wouldn't let him. How about that, Joe? Uh, right off the bat, he's going to tell us what's wrong with our country. If you don't like Mr. it, Mr. Slazan's got the platform, Joe. If you want it, you can get it later. <laughs> now, you be quiet, Joe, or I'll have to put you outside. Go ahead, Mr. Slazan. It's all yours. You... You mean I... I can say what I had on this paper and you will not arrest me? That's exactly what he means, Martin. Go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, I said a moment ago that I had a speech prepared against your government. And I... Prepared it with great care after much thought. I... But I am not going to read it. Why not? <laughs> that is right. I will not make this speech tonight. Instead, I shall say what perhaps I meant to say all the time. 
since the first day I really learned that America stands for freedom. And the people who are America, all of you, have something wonderful about which I knew nothing because I had never seen it before. And now I want to know more, to understand better. Even though they will confiscate everything I have back home, and I will have to start here with nothing, there is only one thing I want to do, and that is to stay here in America for the rest of my life. In a moment, our star, Paul Lucas, will return. But first, here is Gain Whitman speaking for DuPont. What a wonderful country America is. With a hungry world waiting and praying for wheat, our American farmers have harvested the second greatest wheat crop in our history. One county alone in Nebraska produced enough wheat to make bread for more than a million people next year. All over the globe, through the wet months of spring, through the first changeable weeks of summer, Hungry men and women and children looked towards America. Would there be plenty of American wheat, or would the rains drown it, drought burn it? By the middle of July, they had their answer. With the grain from Texas, from Oklahoma, from Kansas, safe in the bins, the great combines were sweeping onto the north, across Nebraska, across the Dakotas, into Canada. The United States had a crop of more than a billion bushels, America produced this billion-bushel wheat crop because the weather was favorable, because our farmers know their jobs and aren't afraid of work, and because science today goes into the field with the farmer. For instance, disease often attacks growing wheat. One damaging disease is called covered smut or bunt. A farmer with wheat infected by this disease loses in two ways, in the yield he gets and in the price he gets. He may be docked 40 or $50 a carload for wheat that is only a bit smutty. For this and certain other seed-borne diseases that attack grains, the DuPont Company manufactures a chemical for seed treatment under the trademark of Sirisan. Chemical treatment of seed grains works so well that many states have organized educational programs to guide farmers in this important practice. How the control of smut has progressed is reflected in figures of wheat deliveries in Oklahoma. At the Enid Terminal this year, out of 16,000 cars of wheat, only 100 or so were smutty. A few years ago, the figure was 1,500, 15 times greater. Chemical compounds like Sirisan have helped to add millions of bushels of cereals to the world's food supply. Sirisan, another DuPont product of agriculture, is one of the DuPont Company's better things for better living through chemistry. And now, here is our star, Paul Lucas, and I think he'd like to say a word about his part in the play tonight. Thank you, Mr. Heaston. Thank you. What I liked about the story tonight is, probably when you come right down to it, what I like about America. The newsstands with the papers of all shades of political opinion lying side by side, available to everyone. 
the freedom of expression and of debate on the air, the opportunity America affords, for example, to present this kind of script. But perhaps the best way to put it is, as it was expressed in the scene with Helen, in which Martin, who is so disturbed and confused by American way of election, says, it is so strange, a government by trial and error. And Helen replies, and trial and success. Because on looking back 170 years or more of our government, that's exactly what it is, a success. And a very great example to a bewildered world. Thank you, and good night. Good night, and thank you, Paul Lucas. Next week, the DuPont Cavalcade of America brings you Herbert Marshall in a stirring new drama called With Cradle and Clock. It's the story of a doctor who turned his back upon the prejudices of Europe to come to this new world where he was free to experiment and develop his talents for the benefit of all mankind. This is another story of America, the America of skyscrapers and haystacks, of home sweet home and the Basin Street Blues. Yes, listen in next week when you will hear another story of America. The music for tonight's DuPont Cavalcade was composed and conducted by Robert Armbruster. Our Cavalcade play was written by Priscilla Kent. This is John Easton inviting you to listen next week to Herbert Marshall in with great... This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. system, everybody. Good morning. Love you all very, very much. Alt-Tab, Desktop, Items View, Alt-Tab, 19, Alt-Tab. Alt-Tab, Desktop, Desktop, Alt-Tab. Alt-Tab, Desktop, Alt-Tab, 1945, 19, Alt-F4, Desktop, Alt-Tab. Alt-Tab, Walden Hughes Master 916, Alt-F4, Desktop, Alt-Tab, Task Switching, Alt-Tab, Gasman and Hughes. Alt-F4, Gasman and Hughes, Items View, List Box Read Only. Alt F4, File Tab Button Draw, Alt Tab. Alt Tab, Chesterfield Supper Club, Alt F4, Chesterfield Supper Club, Alt F4, Unavailable, Fi Alt Tab. Alt Tab, Gasman and Hughes, Alt F4, Gasman and Hughes, Items View, Alt F4, Unavailable, File Tab, but Alt Tab. Alt Tab, Sound Forge Pro 11.0.